Hello everybody and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. Like I've said 238 other times, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. This is a podcast, it's rather an old podcast, but there's been a few comedy of errors. First of all, I'm in the middle of changing feeds. Well, I'm done changing feeds, but uh, I was in the middle of that, and this got caught up in the changing of the feeds. Also, turns out I'm in the middle of uh, changing recording uh, apparatus, or recording websites, I should say. (laughs) So, and one of the reasons that is, is because files keep appearing and disappearing on the website but I'm changing for other reasons as well anyway so this episode episode 239 is Brian Parkerson Brian Parkerson put out a short film called Love Corey which is really cool um and you guys should totally see it. And what it is, is it's a drama, but it's also a horror movie. And it's it's really atmospheric and kind of creepy. And we had what, for our standards, is a pretty short conversation, honestly. Um, comes in right at two hours and 30-something minutes. At least the released version does. And we talked about um, lots of things and used his short film as a jumping off point. I love talking about movies with people that make movies. And I love talking about society. And while I'm talking to you, I just want to say, first of all, thank you uh, to my audience for going to the new feed. Um, And I'm so terrible at this, but... If you could continue to to spread the word and also to, you know, like and share on the various and sundry platforms. I'm also going to, I don't know if I'm going to exit Twitter, but I am going to have a Substack presence of some type. I'm not sure, um, but I'm going to have a Substack presence of some type because Twitter is... um, changing should we say and maybe i'll put a podcast out about that about my actual thoughts on that topic maybe i won't i don't know um anyway thanks everybody and uh thank you for listening to my show and thank you for subscribing and liking and sharing and if you could keep subscribing and liking and sharing that'd be great um And like I always say, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. All right, folks, I'll see you later on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Benjamin Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with Brian Parkerson. Again. (laughs) Again, he's a return guest. I am back. Part two, the sequel. The sequel. yeah, what do you what do you what do you dub the the second episode with somebody? What's it that's uh, do you just you know Brian Parkerson part two or do do you have like a catchy little title uh, afterward? I might uh, 
Hell, that that might be Brian Parkinson the sequel. That's a that's a, and I'm actually gonna call it Brian Parkinson colon the sequel, but go. I'm gonna spell out the word colon. <laughs> you know, my first episode uh, of my of my podcast was the guy named Harrison Smith, and yeah, he uh, he called himself. Or somebody, I can't remember if he called himself this or somebody called him it when he was in school. Or was he, he, it was like a little thing, like a high school Spielberg. And I thought, man, that would be the perfect title for this this episode. If I were going to do episode titles, I would call it say high school Spielberg is what I would have called it. Um, it was just like that perfect little huh. thing from the from the show. It kind of and it really actually in a way it kind of summed up everything. Um, for, in, in terms of episode, I mean, this is a guy who's just a brilliant filmmaker and a brilliant movie buff i mean i i Mm. I walked into that episode of that podcast thinking i knew something about film and i walked away from it realizing i knew nothing about film (laughs) i mean it was very humbling extremely yeah yeah let me ask a question champ yeah um i i saw the movie um obviously uh it's called love Corey. um on a scale of one to ten, uh, one being you've never heard of The Sixth Sense, the movie with Midnight Night Shyamalan, mm-hmm. and ten being you're like a super fan and you think it's the greatest movie ever made ever, <laughs> um, where are you with The Sixth Sense made by M. Night Shyamalan? Uh, if I'm going back to 1999, I would give that film definitely like an eight, a solid eight, because I was completely surprised by the ending. I mean, it, it got me, um, right. You know, today, I mean, you have so many years now that have passed since then. It's, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, I think the film's aged well. I, you know, honestly, man, I still, I mean, it, 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 apparently it was not the first of its kind. Uh, I've, I've heard arguments from both sides. Um, I know somebody that knew the ending because they had seen something similar in like the twilight zone or something, you know, years before, but, um, it was a brilliant film, man. I mean, I, I definitely would give it a solid eight. I mean, I think it's aged well. I think it's one of Bruce Willis's best films. Um, the reason I'm, I, we should probably tell the rest of the internet. <laughs> the reason why I brought Six Cents up is I saw Love Corey, and I'm like, this is a man that if he hasn't seen uh, the Six Cents, I would be surprised. Not saying that it was a copy, but it was definitely an homage. Right? Actually, interestingly, the Six Cents was not a. Uh... It was, it was not an inspiration for that film. Get um, out. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's um, so let me, let me, let me give you this story behind love Corey. Uh, it it okay. actually is not my original idea. So we submitted that to the, the Knoxville film festival. Uh, they have something mm-hmm. every year called the seven day shootout. And in the seven day shootout, um, you have a team lead. So, you know, it was, it was my team and uh, you, they have a kickoff event and they, they did over zoom this year and you draw, you draw a number. And that number, uh, when you draw the number, it, 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 it's, that's what determines what genre you get. So there was, you know, horror action, heist film, um, it's, there's sci-fi, there's fantasy, um, superhero, I think were the topics mm. this year or the genres this year. So mm. 
Um, I, I picked number 17, my gut said 17 or 31. And, uh, thankfully, uh, 17 was horror. So we drew horror. So I was, my initial idea was to go with a slasher, uh, cause we, right. we had a really good location. I've got somebody on my team that, that owns a, um, a business in, in Clinton and she does a ton of film stuff there. I mean, people shoot films there mm. all the time and it's perfect for horror films. Uh, this, this mm. photography studio she has, cause there's stuff everywhere and it's just, you know, it can get really dark up there and it's an older building that's been around since I think the late 19th century actually. So mm. I was thinking, Hey, let's go the slasher route. You know, we, we, we don't have a lot of time to decide. Uh, so one of the mm. members of my team though, uh, a couple of Lucas and, and, and Jordan, they said, you know, Hey, we have an idea. We want to bounce off of you. You know, we think that this is, it's a short film. I think it'll fit well in the seven minute time frame. So, they mm. presented the, the story and uh, Corey Davison actually played Corey in the film. We, he, he's uh, it's kind of like a, um, mm. like a night of living dead, you know, Dwayne Jones was the lead because he was actually, it wasn't George wasn't trying to make a political statement with that, at least not consciously. He, he Dwayne Jones got the part of Ben because he was the best actor amongst the group. And, and so, so- Corey, 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 is, I, huh? When you, when you say political statement, what statement are we, are we talking about? So, so Dwayne Jones is, is a black man or was a black man. He oh, died in 89. Okay. And right. Night of Living Dead was done in 1968. So it was, it was unusual at that period of, in, in American history to, to have a, have a black man uh, in, a, in a lead role like that. Um, it was a really revolutionary thing to do. But mm-hmm. when you listen to George talk about the film, he actually didn't do it. To, to make a political statement. It wasn't, he wasn't, it, it was because Dwayne was the best actor amongst them all. Um, but he just okay. happened to, to really do an amazing job. And, and, and I think some people would tell you that George, at least on a subconscious level, did it for, for, to kind of, because I mean, George is really into making societal statements in this film. So I mean, like you look at, you know, Dawn of the Dead, it was about excess in America and, and, and you know, the way the seventies yeah. were. And it's, um, so, you know, he, he liked to make political statements in the films that he made, but, but he says, I mean, I've heard him say in multiple interviews that, that casting Dwayne as Ben was not a, a political thing. It was Dwayne right. or Dwayne was the best actor amongst them, you know? Um, right. It's interesting how humble about it Dwayne was. I mean, he kind of let right. it go under the radar and never really talked about it, never really brought it up. And, you know, he, he actually, the last interview he ever did before he died, uh, it was an audio only interview. And he tells a story about being in a, like a cafe with some of his students because he was a college professor and mm. he night living dead is playing on the TV. And it took quite a while before those uh, kids uh, there realized who he was, you know, and he uh, didn't really like to talk about it. Uh, I, I don't know why exactly it was that kind of that phenomenon. Some actors have, they, uh, I don't think he resented the character. I, I guess he just didn't like to talk about it, you know? And, and I uh, get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I get it, you know? We cast we cast Corey as lead a lot. Same with Jordan. I mean, Jordan yeah. Jordan's a really really good actor. I mean, honestly, everybody in the team's a really good actor. But we cast Corey as one of the leads. We cast um, Sherry as as one of the leads as well. And uh-huh. uh, and it just it 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 really did lend itself well. I mean, we 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 wrote the script in a, in a single evening. We got on a Zoom call together and we just just started mm-hmm. writing. Uh, we so that was a Thursday night, I believe. And we filmed on Saturday from around noon to 10 PM and mm. uh, wrapped filming around 10, 10 30. And then we spent 
uh, Sunday and Monday editing. Um, Jordan, mm-hmm. especially, uh, he came over to my house uh, cause I work from home. Um, mm. my company does work from home now. So we, uh, he, he actually came over to my house that Monday while I was at work and he continued editing the film. And then when I was done with the work, I jumped on board with him. And then I kind of did some, I did a lot of the final stuff that night and got it submitted. And, uh, but it was pretty, it was pretty well finalized and we were getting some, some post sound stuff done, uh, probably about eight o'clock that night, nine o'clock. And then I had it submitted before mm. midnight that night. So it was, um, it, it was, it was an exhausting thing to do. Uh, I, I loved making the movie. I did not enjoy the deadline. I did not enjoy being under the gun like that. I'm not sure I would want to do it again, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it there were just, it, it's, it's nerve wracking. I mean, and, and I see the point of a contest like that, but it also is difficult creatively because there was a lot of footage. Mm-hmm. We're actually probably at some point going to do kind of a director's cut kind of thing because, we had so much footage we couldn't use. I mean, there, there's an entire dinner scene there. We, we actually made the creative decision because we, we just couldn't use everything. We were, we were right up to the line on time. So we actually chose to do the dinner scene as a month, you know, like you saw that montage kind of thing versus um, mm. actually having like a narrative play out. And it worked out well. It was just kind of a thought that popped in my head while we were editing. Cause we we're sitting there racking our brains. Like, what are we going to do? We have, we have, this entire part of the story we have to tell and we just don't have the time to tell it. And I was like, well, what if we, what if we just do a bunch of cuts like this? You know, we just do this montage thing and, and it worked out well. It really did work out well. The, the, the reception of the film has been interesting. Uh, it's been either, it's been very polarized. I, I tend to hear one mm-hmm. of two things. I'm either told it was really good or I'm told that I didn't understand it. Um, which I, I understood it. Um, which obviously I did because, you know, but I could certainly see where if you're not paying attention, Mm -hmm. like, and this is maybe we can talk about this. Um, I've literally had to tell people of a disturbingly old age, you know, I didn't like movie X, right? Whatever the movie is, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, okay. Here's what you do. Watch it sober. Put your phone down. Turn your phone off. <laughs> and watch the movie again. Yep. <laughs> because obviously, it, I'm not saying like you should like this movie, but this is not a bad movie. You know. Yeah. It, we we made a lot of uh, very intentional creative decisions in it that yeah. kind of that defied the rules of, of good filmmaking. Um, Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like we, you know, uh, uh, I mean, one th- one thing we're right off the bat is we we, in- we intentionally had shots that went on too long. Um, you know, there's an out of focus shot that occurs uh, when it, when there's uh, the camera's actually panning over her her hand mm. in the bed. Um, I have a shot in there. This actually was more of necessity, but she actually lays the phone on the table. And as I was going mm. through the phone, we didn't have a good take of that. So I actually reversed her picking up the phone. <laughs> and so it looks like she lays it on the table. Um, my favorite thing though, uh, Lucas and Jordan came up with the idea of doing a, uh, an Edgar Wright, what we call the Edgar Wright shot. And actually I'm going to break down. I, I, I th- this is cool. I get to talk about this. Cause this has always kind of been like an insider thing with, with the team. So I'll, kind of give the public mm. an idea of what we did. 
So we had different types of shots in the film, uh, some intentional, some not. So okay. right shot, uh, th- that was very much an homage to um, the Hot Fuzz or uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead, like the real quick cuts, you know, like so when she's making the pasta in the film, you see the sink come on, the pasta go, you know, the box open, the, the pasta go. It happens really succinctly. Very quickly. Um, that was that was that was our, that was our Edgar Wright shot. Um, if, yeah. you're, if you're going at the beginning of the film, uh, so we, we had that really beautiful open vista, you know, we, we shot it in black and white, uh, and it just, it was gorgeous. It was a perfect day for it. It was a per, it was a perfect location for it. Um, but immediately you have that opening scene, you see that pan shot. Then we, we used a gimbal and we followed Sherry to the door and we called that the 1917 shot. And it went on a little bit too long. But I called I called it the 1917 shot because you know that film was designed to look like one <laughs> continuous take. So those are you mean 19- like the movie? Okay, you mean like the World War One movie, 1917? Correct. Okay. Okay. And the next yeah. scene after that, you'll see the camera. So we, we had a mix. I was do I was directing. Uh, I was, so Jordan and I directed the film. We co-directed. Um, mm-hmm. Jordan did a lot more like character directing and I did more of the technical directing, I guess it was kind of, I mean, it really was kind of a mix, mm-hmm. but he did a lot more of the actor directing. Um, but I also did cinematography. I did all the tripod shots in the film and Lucas did all the, a lot of the handheld stuff. So you got a, you got a really mm-hmm. good mix of, of, you know, very classic filmmaking versus more modern filmmaking, you know, modern cinematography. I, um, yeah. so that, that next shot is a tripod shot behind the, those double doors. And I, man, my mouth, I guess, dropped when we, we did that scene because when mm. she opened that door and I was watching it through the viewfinder on the camera mm. or through the little, the little screen on the camera, I saw the mm. shadows move across her body and my brain immediately said Quentin Tarantino shot. It looked like something from Kill Bill and that was completely accidental. So from that moment on, I was like, guys, you got to come watch this. And I showed it to him. I was like, this is a Quentin Tarantino shot. This, this is very like, this is just like something out of kill bill, man. Cause I mean, mm. just if and, there, and watch the film again and pay attention to that scene. And if you watch her body, it's subtle, but the shadows it's weird, but the shadows of the door move across her body. And it really looks mm. like something from kill bill. And that was not on mm. purpose. It was purely accidental. So from there on out, that shot became the Quentin Tarantino shot, you know? So, so we had, so we had a few shots in the film that were homages or just, you know, we just kind of designated them this type of shot, mm. that type of shot. Um, mm. And it was really, uh, you know, like the, the scene with the, with her writing in the journal, those shots were long that they, they, they were a little bit, you know, you don't really want to have a camera angle for longer than 10 seconds. Why you know, are like, like, longer? Let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. Why are longer shots as a rule are almost uncomfortable to watch? That's, that's the point. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, uh, I think it has to do with attention spans. Um, I, I have a book mm-hmm. that, that kind of went over the, the basics of filmmaking, um, and cinematography. And it talked, mm-hmm. it talked about wanting to change, you know, you need to change your, your, your shot every 10 seconds, or, you know, you change the angle up, do something. You don't want to sit for 30 seconds on a person. We, we actually intentionally sort of did that a little bit because we just, as the film went on, we want it to become more and more uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, like not necessarily in your face uncomfortable, but that there was just something uneasy about mm-hmm. it. And, and if you weren't well versed in the, 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 the traditions and rules of filmmaking, mm-hmm. you're not really going to understand why you're uncomfortable. You don't really know that like you're watching a shot that went on, you know, two or three seconds too long or, 
you know, this is a weird camera angle or maybe we yeah. broke the, or maybe we broke the 180 rule, you know, um, yeah. we, it's stuff like that. Like, so, you know, we, we, we just, we, 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 we made some really intentional artistic decisions as we were making it. And, and we knew that this, and, and the hope was, and, and, and I, and I discussed this with Jordan. I would tell him like, you know, dude, I, I don't know if the audience is going to understand this. Like I, I, I think, Either someone's going to say, well, you know, okay, they, I see what they're doing here. This is a horror film. It's a very psychological film. Mm-hmm. So they, they broke some rules to, to further cement that in people's minds, or they're just going to think we're crappy filmmakers. It was kind of a toss up, you know? Well, you're um, not, no, you're not crappy filmmakers. I'm saying, and we've gone on for quite a while. We've droned on about this movie for quite a while and we haven't said I think it'd be sort of fair to talk about what the plot loosely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So love uh, Corey is ultimately about a mother uh, who has lost her son mm-hmm. and her grief drives her into madness. And mm-hmm. as, as the story unfolds, as the movie plays, you, you see this woman grow more and more uh, insane. Um, I don't want to give the ending away. Uh, it's, um, cause it's powerful and, and I want to take people by surprise and it's on yeah. YouTube, you know, I'm sure the, the link will be in the, the show notes. Like I want, you know, go out and watch it's free. It's, it's seven minutes of your time and it's seven minutes it's worth spending. Um, and it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a really powerful ending, but the, the whole idea is this, this woman, um, I feel like this, I think, I think one of the reasons people didn't quite understand what was happening is we actually had shot more footage of the Corey sightings. So one of the things that drives us, this woman mad is she's seeing her dead son in different places, you know? So like there, after the scene where she comes up the stairs and she's opening that she's standing at the door. Mm-hmm. If you look in the background, it's real subtle. And I was concerned about how subtle it was. And some people notice that some people don't, there's a hand that comes around the corner, real creepy. I mean, it's real slow. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we move to that close up of the the door shutting. Um, that's kind of the start of it. And the whole idea was like, if you watch like her when her phone rings, it's mm-hmm. it shows Corey on the screen, but then she picks it up and looks, and it shows my name, like I'm calling her. And then when she puts yep. it back down, while it's still ringing, it shows Corey again. You know, so the whole idea is like we want you to wonder, like you know, is it is Corey actually calling? Is a real haunting happening? Is there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is this woman really losing her mind? You know, what, what's really happening? And, and mm-hmm. to be honest, I'm not really going to give that away. Uh, I'm going to let people decide that for themselves. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't going to ask you to give it away, but it's hard not to, cause you know, it, it's, I get excited about these things and I want to be like, Oh, you know, it was like this, but, but I, I think I'm going to leave that up to the audience. I want them to kind of draw their own conclusions. I, I, you know, weirdly, I hate cliffhanger endings, mm-hmm. but man, they're really powerful and they're effective. Um, yeah. And and I, I, I'm I'm the type of person, and I don't know why I'm this way, but I really like it when holes get filled for me and plots. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for example, when you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, th- there are some questions about Cliff Booth, like did he kill his wife? You know, like what's what's the deal with that? Like, you know, what what's up with his background? It's he's yeah. a war hero. Well, what war did he fight in? What did he do? Well, you know, Quentin Tarantino when he writes, he actually has all of these backstories for his characters written out and, and, and dealt with, even though they don't show up in the film, he, he flushes his characters out like that. And it makes a more believable character. It's, it's a, it's a really awesome and powerful technique. Um, but he yeah. actually, when he wrote the novelization of the film, he filled in a lot of those holes. So um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that, but I think there's something to, 
the psychology of film and just letting the audience decide for themselves. I mean, I think it's what made some yeah. of the earlier horror films so effective. Your imagination didn't work for you. You know, when you watch Dawn of the Dead, you know, P, I, I can only imagine the audience went in there in 1979 thinking, you know, when a zombie was about to bite that woman in the tenement building, that the camera was going to pan away because these people, this was a generation that grew up watching Hitchcock films, you know, like Hitchcock didn't show that stuff. You know, at the very yeah. worst, you saw a, a shadow on the wall of it happening, but your ima- imagination. Yeah. So you're watching this thinking, oh, okay, the camera's going to turn away. The camera's going to turn away. The camera's going to turn away. Oh, it's not turning away. And then boom, you know, like a chunk gets ripped out of her arm or, you know, a chunk right. gets ripped out of her shoulder. You know, then you yeah. see somebody's head get blown off. I mean, like all this crazy stuff happens. I mean, that was such a revolutionary movie. Um, but there's something to be said to, to letting your, I've heard Tom Savini say your imagination will do far worse than what we'll do in the movie. You know, <laughs> yeah. like jaws jaws is that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, psychology is a powerful thing. Suspense is a powerful thing, you know? And, and I think yeah. this is not a movie that relies on gore. It's not a movie that relies on, uh, anything in your face. It's very, it's a very subtle film and it's, it's very psychological. It's, um, it's not scary. It is creepy. Yeah. That, and that, that's, that's, that's the point. You know, it's, we didn't really have a lot of jump scares or anything in it. It was meant to be, you know, the, the funny thing is it almost, it really walks the line of not being a horror film and being a drama. Uh, Cause I mean, it's, it's Sherry did such a convincing job. Like she really method acted that day. Um, the mother, Jordan yeah. really worked a lot with her to get her in the headspace of having lost her child to suicide yeah. and um, like when she gets up to that door and starts crying and opens the door, I mean like people were tearing up on set. Um, it, it was, yeah. it was powerful. She gave a powerful performance. It was a very powerful performance. It, it was good. It, it was really good. Um, <clears throat> so where do you think they came up with it? the people that told you the, the story, where do you think they did? Did they just sort of, I don't know. Did it just sort of download into the brain or, or was this That's something they question. were batting around? Um, or? I don't know, man. Uh, I, I can't, I think, I think Lucas, I think Lucas had written it. Um, I'll talk, yeah. text him real quick and ask him to tell me. Um, <laughs> I can get the answer for you. I, I don't I know mean, if I've I, ever asked him. I, I may have. I just don't remember. I mean, I've already, I've already sneezed into the microphone, so we're going to have to edit that out. But yeah, cool. Um, no, it just, it, it strikes me that I've seen a lot of horror movies and I've seen a lot of movies and I've never seen anything like that. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, the sixth sense may have been there. I, you know, I, I say that it, it, it wasn't, at least in my mind, at least for me, it wasn't a, uh, an inspiration for it. But it's very possible that yeah. Lucas saw it. Um, as soon as your name popped up on the phone, like, you know, something's askance in the movie. Right. But as soon as your name pops up in the phone. You know, because like you're thinking, Corey, you're thinking maybe somebody stole his number. You know, somebody took his phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That no, one I will real. say for sure was actually, uh, that was, that was meant to, um, no, 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 I'm going to leave that vague too. <laughs> we, uh, okay. was Corey, was the ghost of Corey really calling or was this woman seeing things? I don't know. Um, 
It's uh, they're actually, I don't know either. There's a sequence that is not included in that. Uh, there's actually some footage we shot of a text message coming in. Oh, um, yeah. So it's uh, that. Uh, gosh, I, I hate that we couldn't use that too. Because man, we spent there were there were a number of takes. Um, it took a while to get that right to get the timing right and stuff. Well, plus, I mean, you're also shooting a screen, which isn't that's hard to do to make it look right. You know, shooting a, a phone screen or a computer screen like that. It wasn't that, you know, honestly, uh, he said, he says he thinks he got it while watching the, uh, watching the haunting of Hill house and seeing Nell's death is he thinks where the idea came from. Okay. He, he had been throwing it around for a couple weeks because I mean, I was about halfway into it and I was like, Somebody has seen the sixth sense before. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, let me ask him that directly. So did the sixth sense inspire that at all? It's possible it did. It, I'm I'm coming out on a limb. It did. He just might not be aware of it. Well, you know, Lucas is young, man. Uh he he's yeah. uh he just turned 21 so um he wasn't Ooh. alive when the sixth sense came out <laughs> that's interesting yeah i'm sure i'm sure he saw it but uh he definitely didn't see it when it came out i mean it's that's yeah, weird to think man yeah. like this this kid is one of the best cinematographers i've ever seen he's extremely gifted as a cinematographer and he's 21 years old um yeah it's uh, it's wild the ideas he comes up with. He's just that's really, one of the, really talented at it. That's one of those things where that's sort of a gift. Mm-hmm. Cinematography. That's that's a gift. Yeah, he. You know, some yeah. some people can just they they see they can see the world through the lens. Almost, you know, they yeah. Uh, he. I mean, he carries his camera around with him everywhere, and um. It, it was, it, it's, it's cool to get to hang with him and see him do these things because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really also, uh, cinematography. I've always kind of wanted to be the director. Um, yeah. if it, it feels weird for me to direct and not control the camera as well, I'm actually going to have to do that with blood repentance. Um, I, I'm, he's, he's, he's my DP in that film now. Uh, and I'm actually having to step away from the camera and let him control that directly so I can focus on other things. Um, but it, it's, mm. it's, I've learned, I've learned a lot from him. You know, it's, it's been really cool. Uh, oh, you know, he actually, he says he's never, he's never seen the sixth sense. Um, that's even more interesting. The fact that, because, because that's to me, that's the compliment to the sixth sense, because that means he's seen movies that the sixth sense was inspired by, or that he's seen like movies, the sixth sense, somebody saw that movie. And they were inspired by the sixth sense in some way. He 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 literally said, "Never actually seen it." I think okay. I saw that death and was thinking mostly, "F." I wonder what would happen if the roles were reversed and the mom lost her kid instead of the other way around. Wonder okay. just how far she would go after that. So it so it had everything <laughs> well, to do with Nell's death and the haunting of Hill House. Well, why don't you tell your um, cinematographer that he needs to see the sixth sense?
you know? Yep, tell him now. <laughs> because I tell you what. But that but, but see, that's my point though about him, Ben. Like that that goes to show you just how talented this kid is. He's Yeah. He's a prodigy. Um I mean like mm-hmm. the 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 shot with the beer bottle uh where he had he had the aperture open so that you know the the the, the yeah. um you know the the background was blurry um mm-hmm. that was all i mean that was that was 100% his idea um and he came up with it like yeah sure and then when you and then when i saw it in practice mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful beautiful shot um, that's that's wild though cuz i thought we were going to have a whole conversation you and me about where this fits in with the sixth sense and this whole oh, we still can. Like, just because, I mean, just because it's not directly linked to it, man, we still can. It's a great, that's a great movie. Let me ask you a question, and um, I have a very mixed relationship with with M Night Shyamalan's movies. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them I think are terrible, like legit yeah. terrible. Uh, there's one in particular. That on some sometimes one 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 or two times I saw it, I'm like, okay, this is kind of good. And but the first time I saw, I'll never forget the first time I saw Lady in the Water. Because the first time I saw Lady in the Water, it was so weird. Was that the one with it's, Harrison Ford? Oh my! Okay, this is an actual. Okay, all right. This is a straight up telling of what happens in Lady in the Water. I'm not being funny. I'm not being facetious. Here we go. Um, Cleveland Heap uh, is a building super in, in an apartment complex. Okay. Um, a say fairy. Okay, or you know. Um, either a fairy or some kind of otherworldly person being in the person of uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Okay. Shows up in his complex or actually in his place, in his actual place of residence. And then the bizarreness of the movie happens okay so what you have is a man who's squarely in middle age who's palling around with a if you want to be generous uh let's say she's legal okay let's say she's 18 but i don't know that she is okay but he's palling around with her she's not wearing pants the entire movie and the complex, the whole complex is like, oh, this is completely normal. Right? And and this grown-up, this grown man is just bizarrely interested in some obscure, I don't remember, J- Japanese or Korean um, fairy tale, right? Which mm-hmm. somehow Bryce Dallas Howard is connected to, right? Her character. And to me, the more interesting thing about the movie isn't the movie at all. It's what you were just talking about with Quentin Tarantino. 
to me, the more interesting part is there's something going on outside this film that makes these people think this is totally normal. Yeah. <laughs> and what is that? You know, <laughs> uh, Shyamalan... I heard somebody talk about this and, and I really feel, I feel bad for him. Um, yeah. He, he suffers the, the curse of a character actor. Like it's, um, <laughs> he did the sixth sense and there was a huge twist in it. And after that, everyone's expectation was every film he does is going to have some sort of twist. And if it didn't have a twist or the twist wasn't what they thought it should be or like they thought it should be, they just roasted the guy over it. It, it stunted him creatively. He, he was in a way yeah. forced into this pigeonhole yeah. of creating a certain type of film and not the film he wanted to create because he did such a yeah. good job with this other film that people just, and it became like a meme. It became a joke, you know, like, I mean, there was the adult swim. Oh, what a twist, you know, thing. It's like, um, every, you're every time I watch a Shyamalan movie, I'm like, okay, where's the twist? Yeah. Where's the twist? Where, where? that's the problem. And it, it, it robbed him creatively. Yeah. But now here's the thing. Um, in some, in the movies where he hits in the movies where it hits, it really hits. Like the first time I saw the village, my jaw was on the floor. Okay. My, my jaw was on the floor first time I saw the village. Um, the same thing with signs. Uh, signs was incredible. Yeah. I thought that's my favorite Shyamalan film. Uh, mine. And it's a cliche. Mine is the sixth sense. I love the sixth sense. It's a great film. Like seriously, it's a great film and I'll crap on the man all day long, but, <laughs> but the sixth sense is great. Uh, signs is great. The happening's pretty good. I love the happening too. I yeah, um, and I, th I think so ben, I good. think what I think what draws me to those two films is I'm a real big fan of apocalyptic stories, and in mm -hmm. particular, I really and I've actually been I, I I have a I have a document on my phone that I keep of like film ideas, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something at some point. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I really enjoy about a good zombie film or a good apocalyptic film is watching a single group of people as it happens, as it, as it starts to unfold. You know, I, I don't mind it when like the world's already mm -hmm. ended and you're, they're trying to survive, but I really enjoy the stories where it's a single group of people and it's, and it's happening to them. Like it's, it, you know, it's, 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 it's the beginning. Right. And, and you see the news and in particular, I really enjoyed the news broadcasts. What, you know, be they, you know, on the radio or on the television, there's something about mm -hmm. that, that I really, it, it, it draws me. And, 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 and like I said, in particular, the, the news broadcast aspect of it. So I want to do a film that actually centers around that aspect of the news broadcast. And I haven't mm. decided if I want to do something like it's a newscaster and his, mm. his story, like that was kind of done in a way. I, I don't want to steal somebody else's idea. I want this to be original. So like, there's a movie called Pontypool. It's a Canadian film and it's oh, fantastic. Okay. Say, say that again. There was a glitch. Yeah. It's called Pontypool. P-O-N-T-Y-P-O-O-L. It's okay. a Canadian right. film. Yeah. And it takes place in a radio station the entire time. And a zombie apocalypse is unfolding, but you only ever see what's going on inside this radio station. And the story is told by callers to this radio station. And, and it's, wow. it's a fantastic movie. It's so good. 
Um, so I don't want to piggyback on that idea. So I want to do something original. Um, I just don't know what that idea is yet, but I know that I want to do yeah. a zombie film or an apocalyptic film, but I really want to, to go heavy on the news broadcast side of it. Well, um, before because that, you make your, before you make your apocalyptic movie, have you ever seen, I think we're alone now. Uh, I don't think I have. Let me look it's got up. the lady who plays Catherine the Great and Peter Dinklage in it. Okay, before you see, before you make your apocalyptic movie, I have a request. Watch okay. I Think We're Alone Now with um, one of the Fanning girls. Um, yeah, and, Ellie uh, Fanning. Peter, Ellie Fanning. Yeah. Peter Dinklage. Um, I love that movie's take on Apocalypse. Because it makes so much sense. I've never thought about it before like that. But it makes so much. It's like, yes. Because I saw it. I saw I Think We're Alone Now during the part of the pandemic where we were, you know, everybody was kind of locked down. But you're also, you don't know. Like, you don't know what this disease is. Mm -hmm. Right? COVID. Right? You don't know. It, it, it could be the Black Death. It could be nothing. We don't know. Right? <laughs> it's on Prime as well. I might watch this tonight. It's so... Because the thing about I Think We're Alone Now that, that hit perfectly what, what that really is, is like, they don't know. They don't know what happened. Right? And also, the... I don't want to say the boredom, but the, 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 like, there's a lot of time to yourself, you know, there, there's a, during a plague, there's a lot of time to think. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's those little subtle things like that, that yeah, I think make those films more effective and better when they, I mean, yeah. like, you know, War, if you've never been, and I've, and let me preface, I've never been to war, but, um, <laughs> but my understanding is, you know, war is like 90% boredom with like, you know, 10% action. Um, yeah. You spend most time yeah. just, uh, just bored out of your mind. Um, and not too many f war films get that, get touch on that or, or get it right. You know, it, it, I, well, I would love to see a film that, that really effectively does that. And it doesn't cause you to be bored. That you'd still find entertaining. I don't think it could be a film, but I do think you could do a streaming series like that. You couldn't do a film like that, but you could probably do a streaming series. I don't know, man. I, I mean, to me, I think it's possible to do it. I, I, I couldn't tell you how yeah. off the top of my head, but it's, I, let me say this. There's something to, Jordan has this way of viewing screenwriting that has really rubbed off on me and I've adopted it myself. He calls it letting okay. the story breathe. Okay. Um, you have a concept or an idea in your mind. It's time to put it on paper. Okay. You have to, he talks a lot about trusting the characters and he talks a lot about letting the story breathe. If you ever write with him or make a film with him, you'll, you'll hear that a lot. And it's, and it's true and, it, and it's really okay. powerful. And it's effective. 
you have to trust those characters. You have to have enough confidence in these characters that they're going to tell their story. And, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really ever thought about this. Like when I write, you know, cause I, you know, with, with blood or pens and I, and I want to talk about this on, on the show, if you're okay with it, we actually mm-hmm. had to completely start the production over. Um, as, as I'm right, as I write a screenplay or a story mm-hmm. in, in particular screenplay, I never really thought about the fact that the characters are actually telling the story in my mind. It's almost like, I'm not the one telling the story. It's I'm listening to their conversation happen and I'm writing it down as it's happening as bizarre Mm. as that may sound. Um, Mm. But as you go along, the story sort of tells itself. Um, And and it's, and it's, Mm. you know, what you had intended to do may not be what ends up happening because Mm. that may not be, and, and you're almost in a way personifying the story. Like, you know, it's like that may not be what the story wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we may need to add these other two characters or we may need to add this other location or we may need to remove these two characters and, and remove that location as well. Like it's, you know, you, you have to sort of let the story do its best for the story. And then you, and then mm-hmm. you, then you step back and you're like, wow, okay. You know, look at what we have. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. blood or pittance started out as a, uh, nine page script that, you know, I was going to shoot on a, on a, on an iPhone and the project, grew to like a 21 page script with a cast and crew. And then it just continued to evolve and grow to the point Mm -hmm. that the story completely changed. I had a much better idea Mm -hmm. and we just had to start over and it's become a feature. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't anticipate that happening. I didn't intend for that to happen. It just did. And and I I had to make a really tough decision. Um, Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I know when we talked before you you were going to make a feature. How's the, how's the feature going? It's going well, man. It's uh, it, it's, it's been an unusual, I don't know how common this experience is. And maybe it's super mm-hmm. common. I don't know. Like I, I, uh, I don't know how many people start a film and it grows mm-hmm. and grows and grows and grows and grows. And then you have to start over because of how big it got. It's kind of, mm-hmm. um, it, it actually grew so much that we started running into production issues. Um, because <laughs> it, it originally was, me with my friends i was casting my friends and my friends aren't professional actors they're just they're they love me and and believe in me and they wanted to help me out well the problem is the more the story grew the more the production grew the more availability Mm -hmm. i needed from people and that availability wasn't there so we started running into scheduling conflicts constantly like we just couldn't get the film made because you know two people would be available but two people wouldn't you know Mm -hmm. and and it's like then I started kind of getting pressured into like, well, you know, you just need to start recasting people. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. These are people that I've been friends with mm. for 10, you know, five, 10 years. I'm not going to just say, sorry, you're, you're recast. Um, I had a conversation with one of them, one of my friends mm-hmm. and I, and I told him, you know, I just explained what was going on from my perspective and, and she was very understanding. And she's like, I mean, she said, look, if you ever need to do that, you just need to do it. You need to do what's right for this movie. And there was something about her telling me that it was almost like I was given permission to just kind of do what needed to be done because I, I, I was more concerned about my friendships than I was the film. Um, I didn't want to do anything that would damage these friendships, but on the, on on the same token, the lack of availability of people was, was hurting the production. And after I had that conversation and she just was like, you know, she's like, Brian, do what you have to do you know, do what's right for this film. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I, so then I instituted a role. Like, look, 
we've got to get this movie made guys. Like if you can't show up, I'm going to have to recast you. We're going to, we'll lose some footage, but I just have to do it. But at the same time, I had been talking with Corey about this idea I had. Um, and I was originally going to film this as the sequel to blood repents. And wow. I was in love. I, I had grown so frustrated with, with the, the, the scheduling conflicts and stuff that I'd, mm. I, I had fallen out of love with the current script and I had mm. fallen into, and I'm, I'm probably being a little too frank here, but I mean, it doesn't help anybody out there to, you know, because somebody else may be in the same situation. Um, I no longer loved the story I was telling. I, it became more about, I need to get this done. Um, mm. That's not a good place to be as a filmmaker, but I was in love with this new concept I had. And I was really, really excited at the idea of getting it made. And then I started to think mm. to myself, I can fix all of our production issues. If I make that movie, because I can design it in a way where I don't need everybody together all at once. The people that I will need together on a regular basis are all professional film people. So they have the availability. Everyone else, I just need them one at a time. And as far as locations go, I can actually mm-hmm. film it at their house. So I thought about it and I talked about it. And somebody pointed out to me, it's like, you know, the only time I ever hear you excited about this project anymore is when you're talking about this other movie. <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm at, I guess. And I, it just sort of seemed like that's where the, I'll go back to how Jordan talks about it. that's kind of, I think where the story wanted to go. Um, I think, mm-hmm. I think that story didn't want to be a short and it didn't want to be the story it was. I think it wanted to be this other story. And I finally got on my Facebook group. I got on my Facebook and I got on our, our chat. I said, you know, guys, I've decided to make this decision. We're going to start over. Um, the cool mm-hmm. thing is I don't have to recast anybody now. Um, you know, everybody's still in the film and, uh, and this completely fixes our production problem. Like, like it it completely, so Mm -hmm. it was a creative solution that led to, I think what's going to be a much better film. So Mm -hmm. it's been an unusual journey. Uh, it's not what I expected. Um, you know, we, we actually have, I don't know what we're going to do that. We have about three, three days of production (laughs) on the old version. Uh, you know, what I, what I might do is if we do like a physical release of the film, I might maybe like do like a, like a special feature or something in the, um, or, or hell, maybe I can make it a perk and I can, you know, like, you know, if, if you, you know, if you subscribe to this tier of perk on the Indiegogo, like I'll, you know, we'll, maybe we can string together the footage we did have. So you can kind of see what the original concept was of what we were doing. Um, that sounds cool, man. Yeah, that, that actually sounds really cool. I hadn't considered that. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to actually write that down as <laughs> see. Well, there's a podcast I've got to put out basically tomorrow, but this is, you know, so, Hey, <laughs> right after that, I'm going to put this out. Sweet. So, Hey, you know, that'll be, uh, you know, that'll so, y'all just heard Brian work something out. This is how just filmmaking saying. goes, man. You got to write this stuff yeah. down, or you'll forget it. Or at least I will. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I know it? To be able yeah. to see it. Um, see Don't I know it? The original concept. I think 
doing my, my college scribbling here, writing it really mm. fast. I'll, I'll actually forget this if I don't write it down. I, I, no, it's, yeah, that's this, what, this that's is what editing's goes, for. Yeah, yeah. This this is how it goes, man. I mean, this is how ideas happen. You just mm. have these little mm. bursts of inspiration, you know, <laughs> they and they they come out. Absolutely. That would be a cool perk. I've got, I've got some really neat stuff for the Indiegogo, man. Um, mm-hmm. Honey Gregory came to town. Uh, we we filmed a, a ghost hunting show for her and her daughter. And mm-hmm. uh, while she was here, I had her. Um, so I don't recall if this had happened yet or not since the last time we spoke on your show. Um, so a good friend of mine is uh, Honey Michelle Gregory, the original male girl for Monster Vision and Joe Bob's Driving Theater. And uh, I, I'm actually doing a show with her now called uh, grills and thrills. Uh, we're going to be releasing the first episode here soon. And mm-hmm. um, we're going to, we're, we're doing Dawn of the dead. And uh, I had a uh, Jim Crutt, who's a helicopter zombie. I had Jeannie Jeffries and uh, Rick Danford come on as guests. Mm-hmm. And um, she's actually in the film. We have her footage mm-hmm. and uh, she signed a bunch of eight by tens for me. She signed uh, the t-shirt or the shirt she wore in the film. She mm-hmm. signed um, some props as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I actually have some really cool uh, honey signed merch that's going to be available for perks on the uh, the Indiegogo for Blood Repentance. So she's been a mm-hmm. real trooper, man. Um, real trooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, and she and I have been doing a lot of podcasts recently as well, talking about the film, promoting the film. And um, she's, she's real, really cool. I'll have to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I can, maybe we could do another episode, man. I'll bring her on with me and you can talk. To oh, her no, no, I'm, you're always welcome to come on. I, I, I love talking to you. This is one um, of my favorite podcasts to be on, dude. Because like, it's weird. I, I when I and you know what's interesting is I talk about this podcast fairly regularly, and oh. and I tell people it's it's my record that it was almost four hours, and I tell people <laughs> which what you don't understand is at one point we had decided to stop. We talked for another forty five minutes, and then decided to stop again, but we still could have kept going. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I remember like, I remember there was like a point in time where I was like, I really like this guy. I I really, really like this cat. And we just talked and talked and talked. And, and then afterward, I was like, uh, we talked again for practically an hour. And I was like, all right, Brian, like, dude, okay, great. But I got to go to sleep. (laughs) But do you though? Do you have to go to sleep? Not right now. It's but... more it's more entertaining to talk to me than go to sleep, man. You know. This. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess so. Talk about you have a very interesting mission, uh, self-described mission. Yeah. Which you had, which you said to me in the previous episode. So, you want to lay that out for the folks? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I'm. I am a, a Christian filmmaker that is not making Christian films. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very strong believer in Christ and I have been since I was a kid and, um, I have felt pretty strongly with my filmmaking that initially I set out, I was not going to have cursing nudity or sex in my films and, and I'm still convinced, but, but I, but I've relented on one of these. Um, I was convinced these are elements that are not needed in a film and they don't actually add anything to the film. And I don't mm-hmm. know why they're there because, you know, up through the 20th century, there are films that are shown in film schools. There, there are cult classics that had none of those things in them. I mean, like out, you know, I, I would say psycho 
was probably the closest thing to like scantily anything that that uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock did, you know. And it, but it, but I mean, there wasn't any, you know, the, there wasn't any nudity in it. There wasn't any sex. I mean, it just it's like it's just those are things you don't need. Um, and it's a personal conviction that I've had, you know, that I felt like it's 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 a it's something that's I, I don't like to, I don't want to call it a mission necessarily, but it, but I mean it's it's a conviction I feel like God's placed in my heart and and I've tried to stick with it. Um, mm-hmm. However, something that's changed recently actually with the revamp of 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 blood repentance and, and i you know and, and i use revamp as a little bit of a pun um because it is a vampire film um uh, uh, uh. it it uh it so so lucas so jordan is a believer lucas is not and it's been interesting to have lucas's perspective on what we're doing with that film because there is a little bit of a gospel message in the movie it's not in your face and it's pretty subtle um, what Lucas and Jordan helped me realize because they so I had actually written a f- fifty-one pages of the script and mm-hmm. sent it to him and it was like, "What do you guys think?" And the feedback I got was basically like, "What is this?" You know. <laughs> so they, 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 they sat down with me, man, and, and like mm. Jordan laid it all out. And um, mm. one of the things they helped me realize is, you know. I, we get what you're doing with this movie, but you're really limiting your audience by um, mm. trying to think of the best way to say this. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. There we go. That was a pop-up. Oh, that's always fun. <laughs> takes yeah. Back the 90s a little bit when pop-ups are a thing. Um, I don't know, man. I've got this new... Uh, my computer... Um, and you know, I have a friend who's dead now, but we used to talk all the time about how the word improve will mean to make worse. Huh. Like in the future, the word improve will mean to make worse. That's a bit prophetic if you think about it, because there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> and one of the things about this computer that is just so, hmm, is there's pop-ups. And you're like, I didn't ask for that. Yeah. So <laughs> what you're probably seeing, man, is, uh, you know, HP is really bad about that. They'll have like old warranty pop-ups or, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, do you want to turn on, uh, you know, system diagnostics and, you know, anonymously send us usage data. And so, you know, you have little things mm-hmm. pop up like that. It's this, what we call bloatware in the industry. <laughs> um, you know, it's, oh, it's, I'm it's not in the industry and that's bloatware. Yeah. It's um, bloatware. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, so that's probably what you're seeing. HP used to be really notorious and bad about tying that stuff to the registry and like make it, it breaking windows if you got rid of it. It's not that bad now. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that HP is probably I, the, to me they used to be the worst offender, but now they're the one I respect the most because they're they they have one piece of bloatware called HP Support Assistant that is, I think, a very wonderful tool. And it's the one piece of H, pre-installed HP software that I keep on systems or put on systems. Uh, professionally because they it, it's mm. all your drivers are in one place it's it's really nice and it's not super obtrusive mm. um, all right well let, let's try to bring it back on the beam here yeah <laughs> yeah so so <laughs> what what jordan with what i was doing with this film what what jordan and lucas helped me realize yeah. is sometimes the dialogue just didn't sound natural and i was really limiting my audience by not including profanity um mm. if i made the film a little more mainstream and included some profanity 
Um, one, it, there, there, there really were lines that just sounded better and more natural if I had, you know, mm. a, a curse word in it, but it also made my film more accessible to, to everyone. And yeah, I thought about it. And, and I think what really sealed the deal for me was my, my, my good friend, Donovan. Um, he's one of my best friends mm. and he was mm. talking about the apostle Paul and how mm. Paul would sort of integrate with society, the societies mm. that he would go into. Yeah. And I thought, okay, you know, and, and, and I think another thing is there's a, there's a local Knoxville filmmaker named Richard Grand, and he, uh, he posted on Facebook one day, like what's more, what's more important with your film? You know, is it, is it reaching a Christian audience or is it reaching the lost? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. It's about reaching the lost. And, and so I just kind of realized, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm still, I still feel a little weird about it. Um, but I think this movie stands a better chance of, of reaching more people because I'm not, I haven't designed it for a Christian audience. I've designed it for well, everyone. I mean, ladies, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, like I, I knew that Brian is a Christian because he told me and I remember, but you can watch this movie and honestly not, not pick that up. So it's not like he's preaching to you. Yeah. And blood repentance is not that way at all either. Like if I sent you the script right now, you wouldn't think that it's mm. it, it 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 is not a it's not a Christian film. There mm. there is a gospel message in the film, mm. um, but it's not it's not a Christian film. I mean, it's going to be very gory, and uh, because I mean, my goal as a filmmaker ultimately is I want to make filmmaking ex- good quality filmmaking safe and accessible to everyone. I eventually want to have a large studio where people can come and we'll, we'll make your film and you don't have to worry about getting messed over by distributors. You don't have to worry about being exploited or taken advantage of. It's going to be a safe environment where you can make a really good film. Well, and hopefully you'll um, be Atlanta North. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, that's my dream, man. And yeah, I, yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's interesting how the story evolves and how, how the, the journey evolves as I go along, you know, I mean, I've, mm. it's, it's been, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, gosh, I feel like I'm in a much different place in this journey than I was when you and I first talked, you know, um, I've, I've learned a lot mm. more and experienced a lot more. And, um, mm. I, I, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, you know, I, 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 f- I still feel a little bit conflicted, about the decision to include the cursing, but I see the point that they're making and, and having Lucas on the mm. team has been cool because I can, I can ask Lucas like, Lucas, you're mm. the audience I'm looking to reach here. How do you feel about this? Mm. And, and I can get his perspective on it and say, okay, you know, well, if, if this is a complete turnoff to you, then my, 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 my film's going to fail. Um, so tell if, me, why do you, what's the coolest thing about making movies? I mean, beyond, chasing the dream or whatever like what's the what do you love about making movies that's a great question um you know it's uh let me start that answer by by telling you it's i found something about it that i didn't like and Mm. and it scared me i was like oh no there's something about this process i don't like Mm. um it's a very tedious process um but it's just a magical experience. Like I was looking at a photo today 
taken on a set in a film. Mm. Uh, Steve Stoliar had posted it. I'm, fr- I'm friends with Steve Stoliar. Mm. And he posted a, a, a still from a, a movie set from the 1930s. And I was watching these people standing around watching a scene unfold. And I was like, wow, man, these guys, like that was their job. They weren't sitting at a desk filling out paperwork. They weren't answering phone calls. They weren't serving someone. They were watching art happen. They were watching this script come a lot, come to life. And it's, it's hard to put into words. It's just such a cool feeling to be able to be creative. Mm. Um, put something on mm. paper and then watch it come to life through other people mm-hmm. and to get with your friends and go and find locations for something and show up on set and set up these cameras and um, just get to flex that, that right side of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man, like I wish I could show you this, this picture right now and just, you know, these guys they're standing there and that's their mm-hmm. job. They're not fixing computers. They're not fixing printers. They're not, you know, sitting behind a computer all day they're they're on a set they they get to bring Mm -hmm. the imagination to life and they're standing in the middle of it and watching it unfold and like that's their job i mean there's just it's hard i don't know it's hard for me to put into words like when you sit when you're on a movie set Mm -hmm. i'll never forget that first day that, that we started feeling blood repentance i kept saying like you know we're making a movie and like i was watching people act out this script i had written with some with with my friends and Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it's just magical there's a business Mm -hmm. side to it and there's a lot of work that happens before you ever step foot on set um but i would Mm -hmm. liken it to uh probably like you know you hear talk about when a woman gives birth all the pain Mm -hmm. they go through immediately disappears and it's forgotten about when they hold their child for the first time and i've never experienced that but I would imagine it's a similar concept. Like you, you go through all of this paperwork and scheduling and shot lists and all you go through all this stuff early on all this, all this administrative stuff. But then that first day on set, man, like it's just all of that crap disappears because now you're mm. watching this beautiful thing unfold. You're watching your imagination come to life with these people. Mm. And also the doors it's open for me to meet, people who uh, were my heroes, you know, like I'm, I'm friends with Jeannie Jeffries. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm friends with honey Gregory. Like I'm friends with Jim Crow. Like I'm friends with people who are in my favorite film and Mm -hmm. I never in my life thought I would ever really ever get to talk to them, much less be friends with them. You know, I've gotten to interview Scott Reiniger. I've got to interview Larry Hankin. I've gotten to interview Bruce (laughs) Valanche. I've got to talk to all these different people that, I never thought I would ever get to talk to and, and they treat me as a peer. Um, yeah. you know, I had yeah. a, uh, I won't say who it is, but I actually had a legendary actor reach out to me. This mm-hmm. is a person who has been making films for over 50 years. Wow. And they reached out to me, sent me a message on Facebook out of the blue mm-hmm. And said, "Hey, uh, you know, if, if if you have any upcoming projects, keep me in mind. Here's my reel. I'm, all, I'm mm. always looking for good people to work with." And wow. it <laughs> really so cool. Yeah, it, it caught me off guard because mm. one of my first thoughts is, "I know exactly who you are. I don't need your reel." Um, 
I had to yeah. actually, I didn't respond immediately because I knew that if I responded to this person as a fan, it would create a divide between us and mm. that I would become a fan to them. And they had reached out to me as a peer. And uh-huh. so I made sure to respond likewise. And every interaction I've had with this person ever since then, I don't fanboy out on them. Uh, I treat them as, <laughs> as a professional. I treat them as a, as a peer. But the reality right. is, man, even though I'm a filmmaker, even though I'm doing this, I still yeah. have, I'm still a fan at the same time. Man. Like I still have those moments. Like I still, yeah. you know, I've been watching, I mean, this, this, this person's a legend. Um, mm. But it's stuff like that. You know, mm. I, I, I went to go see Dawn of the Dead in 3D mm. and in theaters. And, and I went with uh, my friend, Julie, and I kept telling her, I was like, it's so weird that I'm, I'm going to walk in this theater. Nobody knows who I am. It's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Nobody knows who I am or what I do. And I can look at that fit, that screen right now. I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. I'm friends with them. I've talked to them, you know, like, like I can watch this film on the big screen. I know all these people and they're, mm-hmm. they're my friends, you know, it, it's, it's just a very surreal thing. Um, and I don't, I don't take that lightly, man. It's, it's a, it's a real privilege and an honor. And yeah, it's been kind of like finding my people as well, you know, and, and some of the people I've interviewed, like um, two that really, actually three that really stick out to me. Uh, no, I'm sorry, four. There were four interviews I've done that really stuck out to me because I had a moment of self-discovery with these people. Uh, Susan Lanier, Mark Scheffler, uh, Hilton Ariel Ruiz, and Larry mm-hmm. Hankin. They all four said something that gave me insight into myself. Something, something I actually used to, to kind of criticize myself about, or I thought there was something wrong with me. Uh, I realized that, no, it, it, that's not what it is at all. It's like, it's, it's because I'm this right brained person. They're just like me. I'm, I'm realized like, you know, we're, we're all artists, you know, like this, then this, mm. this, it just, it makes sense. I'm this way because they're the same way. And so it, it's, it's, it's also sort of helped me to learn more about who I am and why I'm the way I am and why I'm wired the way that I am and, and meeting other people that are the same way who have made it, who have, who have walked this path before me. It's just been really, really a blessing to sort of say, okay, well, there actually is nothing wrong with me. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not walking my destiny right now, but I'm trying, I'm getting there. You know, mm. um, you know, the eventual goal is I want to, I want to do filmmaking full time. You know, I want to mm. be in the industry mm. full time, but it just takes time to get there. Um, but that's okay, man. You know, it's, it's still a lot of fun and there are so many great people <laughs> out there that, that are, they have the same dream and they're willing to help and, and, and be as passionate about your project as you are. And that's, that's one of the mm. most humbling things about it is there's so many people that will, man, they'll just, they'll just lift you up on their shoulders. There's, you know? there's nothing cooler to me than like you have an idea that you wrote down on a phone or a tablet, you know, like a legal paper or whatever. And then, like, you see it enacted, and then you see it as a reflection in someone else's eye. There's nothing cooler than that. To watch your actors own own that character and to start making their own backstories Mm -hmm. about the character. Um, You know, I learned recently, in fact, from Jordan, about this interrogation method of of, uh, directing your actors where you you basically interrogate them about who they are. It's similar to, Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember the scene in Reservoir Dogs? where Tim Roth is with that guy and they're going over his backstory and he's quizzing him on his backstory. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of like that actually. Um, you know, like when Corey, Corey's character, I, I, we were um, sitting and writing the script 
and we were having, we were kind of doing this sort of impromptu thing to kind of let the scene write itself. We were having it acted out. We were having them ad lib and I wasn't mm-hmm. getting something or something course performance. That I didn't like, I was like, so let me, let me get you in the mind of this character. Let me get you in the mind of Cassius. So I started asking him to tell me who Cassius is, what his background is, you know, like I didn't ask what his favorite color was, but you know, you'll have to say, well, what's, 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 what's your favorite color? Because I wanted him in his mind to become Cassius. And in a way it kind of helps them sort of get out of the way of being the character. Cause it's, it can be kind of easy for, for, for anyone to, sort of get in the mm-hmm. way of, of, of the character and sort of let themselves it's so it, it sort of let themselves kind of, kind of block the performance you're looking for. Not intentionally. It's just like, it's just, that's mm. just, it's, you have to become someone different. It's not always easy to do that. Um, you know, it's like, that's why it's one of the reasons I respect people like Tony Todd so much. You know, you look at the, the characters this man plays in so many films, they're just, they're terrifying, but he's the sweetest man you'll ever meet. He's, just such a lovely, intelligent human being. I mean, the guy is brilliant. He's Mm -hmm. he's a true art. Like if you would, you know, they, they need to put his picture next to the word artist in the dictionary. Like he, he, that man is a true artist. Um, and he has, Mm -hmm. he has a great love for the craft of acting and, and, and the arts. And I, I have so much respect for him. Um, it's, and it's, he's able to so naturally do that. I don't know how he does it. Um, and I'm hoping I can work with him one day and just sit down with him, and have dinner when I'd be like, dude, explain to me how you do what you do. <laughs> like, how can you turn off Tony Todd and become Candyman? You know, like, how do you do that? Um, and it just seems like it's so easy for you, you know? I would imagine, um, you know, you just, it's like showing up to work. Larry Hankin, I asked Larry yeah. that question and he, he told me, that it was sort of like he likened it to playing the guitar. It's like a muscle mm-hmm. memory thing. Um, mm-hmm. When you're when you're playing guitar, and if you start thinking about the notes you play, that's when you make mistakes. It's when you stop thinking about it and let your muscles, your muscle memory, do the work. Mm-hmm. That's when your playing is really good, and that that's that that's when the beauty comes through. And he said it's a lot like that. Um, when when mm-hmm. you become a character, you don't think about it; you just let it happen. You just let it come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I think, but that's, yeah, that's no, the I, I get that. I get that. Um, autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I get that. It's definitely an autopilot kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, acting is, uh, people, I think there's a misconception that's an easy job and it's not mm. because what, not only do you have to memorize a lot, it requires mm. a lot of, uh, dedication and mm-hmm. uh humility and integrity and it's just not easy to do man because sometimes you gotta do i mean i've you know, i've seen movies i'm thinking like my gosh i could not do that like i mm-hmm. you know either mm-hmm. the dirtiness of it or the you know like i i actually have i don't mind saying this publicly like i have really really bad obsessive compulsive disorder um mm-hmm. and i i actually watch movies from that perspective there are times that characters will do things in films that i'm just like oh my god Oh my, like I, I, they need to go wash their hands or something. They don't. Um, and it really bothers. I feel like I notice things other people don't because of that. Um, you know, like acting is not easy. It requires a lot of work and a lot of dedication and it's, it's, it's long days. It's, you know, and then when you make it, man, I mean, it, it costs you your personal life. Um, you know, a lot of these people well, can't I mean, go anywhere. 
I think was it uh, was it Scorsese that said the biggest compliment is being asked back. <laughs> yeah, you know, like <laughs> I think it was Martin Scorsese who, way after he became Martin Scorsese, you know, like the you know way after he became like the the amazing like he's a legend director right yeah he said like i have this fear that i'm just not going to make movies again (laughs) and then when he gets asked to do it yeah i mean that's that's understandable i have a lot of respect for people like uh um somebody recently that i've you know Mm -hmm. i'm from the the jackass generation you know i watched Mm -hmm. that and High school, I guess I was in high school when that show came out, or maybe like I remember last Jackass. Yeah, um, you know, Steve O, I have a lot of respect for him, and I wish I could talk to him because he uh, he really <laughs> turned his life or he's a really wise guy. I mean, like, once mm-hmm. he got sober and he went through all the the, the 12 steps and stuff, mm-hmm. he that man has a lot of wisdom, he, he's a really wise guy, and um. I have so many questions for him. If, if, hypothetically speaking, if he were to show up on my show, I'd have a thousand questions for him. Yeah, I would talk to him a lot about the sobriety thing because I have I have a family member who struggle who who's sober, <laughs> but they hate being sober. And oh, yeah. I wish I wish I could get Steve Owen in, in contact with this person because mm. I think Steve could could really give a lot of insight well, to them. And um, I. Uh, I just, I have a lot of respect for Steve-O. I think he's a, he seems like he's a really good and genuine guy. And he just, he really does have a lot of wisdom. And, and you really see that come through. He did an interview with Bam Margera recently. And, and although he and Bam are really close, you know, he was calling Bam out on stuff. Like, you know, he was, he was like, well, you know, like, you know, that it's really should be this way. You really need to think like this. And Steve, I just, I don't know. I just really have a lot of respect for him. And, and one of the things he said in, in a show that he did, he was talking about his fan interactions and, he he reads mm. comments and things and he actually had a really negative comment from someone one time and, and he didn't respond well to it. And he regrets yeah. that. And he realized how important that even if he's not in the mood to get the picture and stuff, he still does it because he knows how important it is that, you know, the fans is love, the love his fans have for him. He knows how important mm. it is. And I respect that about him that, you know, people, I think it's easy for celebrities. I, I can't imagine it seems probably cool at first, like, you know, to be that famous, but then, you know, when you, when it gets to the point where you can't even go eat with your family without people coming up and bothering you, like mm. I get it, man. Cause like I said, I'm a fan too, but this I respect actors. My... that don't forget that, you know, that I they love, realize. I, go, oh, go ahead, I love sorry. this topic. I'm sorry. Yeah. I love this topic because I think we're, I think we're in this new age where you and I are of the age where, <laughs> Like, okay, let, let me say it like this. In the future, <laughs> right? In the future, so like look at a two-year-old today, right? When that two-year-old gets to be 40 or 45 or whatever, they're going to have to realize, they're going to have to think, oh, well, there was a day when money and fame were the same package. Right, but see now you can be famous and not be wealthy, and not <laughs> and basically be a normal person, yep. 
but you're still famous. Yeah. YouTube, and, yeah, that's YouTube's done that. The internet's done that. It's, it's so much easier to become famous. And it's funny. I mean, like I, I still dude, I still fall victim to it, man. Like, um, you know, uh, there's a guy on YouTube, LA beast. Mm. His name's Kevin. Like I, I would fan, I would fail out a little bit if I got to meet him. I'd want to get a picture with him. You know, I think about like, I'm sure at some point this journey is going to take me to LA. And I think about, you know, if I had the opportunity to meet some of these people that I'm a fan of, how will I act? You know, will I, because uh, I, I don't want to be seen as a fan, but my gosh, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this person's art. I mean, I don't know, man, like you don't, the, as much as I do this, as many celebrities I've gotten to talk to now, like I still, I still, I mean, there's still some people out there. Like if I ever got to meet John Landis, like, or Steven Spielberg or Scorsese, like there's no way, or Leonardo DiCaprio or like any of these people, man, like there's no way Quentin Tarantino. My gosh, dude, I'd probably be speechless. Like I, w- I would hope like I, once I got the initial, like oh, you're Quentin Tarantino, either way, like I, w- I would love to talk to him about film and stuff, but like, there, <laughs> but there's no way I can meet these guys, yeah. these legends and not be- because like, I know, I know at the end of the day, man, Quentin Tarantino is a regular guy, but he's Quentin freaking Tarantino. Like the man is one of the best filmmakers that's ever lived. And I have so much, yeah. I love his movies. Like I love his art and yeah. and they've, they've impacted me. And Pulp once Fiction is a, one of my favorite movies. Once Upon, once upon a Time, time in Hollywood. Hollywood. Love that once movie upon a so time, much. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It, it's just an amazing film. Yeah. Because you talk about, you talk about the Scorsese or the, the Shyamalan twist. Okay. Well, here's a guy. Okay. He just rewrites history. <laughs> I love it. Here's a guy <laughs> who has a whole career, a whole huge career of like all of these movies, just about it all have a twist, right? Mm-hmm. They all have a twist. And I mean, okay, they're going to put Pulp Fiction in, in a time capsule. <laughs> they're going to put inglorious bastards in a time capsule yeah they're, they're you know they're gonna put uh once upon a time in hollywood it, it is an amazing film it's a first of all it covers the fact pattern of what happened right up to the very last minute it covers the fact pattern of what happened in the charles manson situation exhaustively right up until the last minute but right. that's such a small part of that film, though, man. Like, exactly, exactly. One of the criticisms I've heard about *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood* is people ask, like, "What is this movie actually about?" And, and it's about a, it's about a guy who's watching his fame fade, and and it's it's about a it's about a you know his sidekick who is wondering what the future holds for him. It's it's a period. It's it, the movie is a time capsule, and I've watched it many times, and I fell in love with it. It's one of my favorite Tarantino films. I, in fact, I would say my top. Oh, uh, let me let me i'll forget this if i don't say it. my top three are pulp fiction and glorious bastards once upon a time in hollywood not necessarily in that order mm. i just i love all three of those movies uh my okay so my observation about once upon a time in hollywood is i'm i'm a huge x-files fan okay mm-hmm. And in fact, um, I'm I'm rewatching the X Files now, again. And the thing I've noticed about the X Files 
and I don't remember when I noticed this exactly, but I, I remember noted this is not a new observation on my part. The X Files is a great document of the nineties. Oh man, like it really is of the nineties. Yeah. Okay, just the the situation of the nineties. I would love to be able to live long enough and be healthy, but to live long enough for people to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and talk about how, how, what does that say about 2018 or 19 or whenever it was made? What does this movie that takes place in the 60s say about, you know, 2018 when it was made? Because it does. It has to. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But my favorite thing about that movie is the trick. The actual, like, the entire time this master filmmaker is, is doing this movie, the entire time, he's telling you he's going to fool you. You know? He's saying over and over again, I'm going to fool you. This is a trick. I'm going to fool you. This is a trick. And then he fools you. And you're like, oh, God. I uh, wow. And I was expecting it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what a magician does. I mean, it's it's magic. I mean, that's what <laughs> magicians fool you in front of your face. I know. You know. It's a hide in plain sight almost. I mean, it's to me, we were talking about how I'm not Shyamalan stunted his career. To me, Tarantino. I would love to for Tarantino to make a a non-Tarantino film, whatever that looks like. Put him in TV. But, uh, Put him in TV. <laughs> let, let, let me, let me, let me, you, you said that I, I disagree. I disagree with the premise that, that Shyamalan stunted his career. What what has happened to Shyamalan was not his fault. He, he's almost, it's, it's the ignorance of his audience that has done this to him. People, yeah. people have very narrow mindedly said, Oh, you're the twist guy. And, so now everything you do has to have a twist. It's like, no, he's not the twist guy. You know, he may like putting twists in his films, but that's not who he is. It's don't, uh-huh. don't stifle his art like that, but that's what people have done. It's like, I mean, now to their credit, man, not everybody's a filmmaker. Not everybody has been to film school. Not every, I mean, I haven't uh-huh. been to film school either, but, but not everybody understands like the nuances of film. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't uh-huh. totally understand, but, 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 but making a yeah. movie, getting involved in the process, getting involved in the industry to the level I have has given me a greater appreciation of film. Um, I'm able to see it differently. I'm able to watch it differently. I'm able to, to, you know, like I was watching tour, tour, tour recently. And uh, mm. man, I, I just, I, I feel like my mouth was just a, a, a gape the whole time because I, I look at how difficult it is to make a tiny little independent film at times and these guys had mm. battleships, planes flying around, explosions and pyrotechnics. And I mean, it just like, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how did they do this? This is amazing. You know, the cinematography mm. is incredible. The colors are beautiful, wonderful cinematography. The, the, the acting's good. The screenwriting is phenomenal. I, mean, I was in love with this film just from a filmmaking perspective. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Mm. You know, mm. um, it's interesting because some, you know, filmmaking ruins movies for some people. I know I, I, there are some people... <laughs> that I've heard say it's just killed it for them. Like they can't watch a movie anymore without being, you know, overly 
critical of it or, you know, it's like they just notice every little mistake. And I, I, I'm lucky, man, because in fact, I was talking to Jordan about this uh, recently and maybe last week we had this conversation. Like I, mean, I was talking about this topic and, and I am still absolutely able to watch a film and forget everything I know about filmmaking and purely watch it from a, from a, you know, a, an audience standpoint, a viewer standpoint. Yeah. Let's just call it as a civilian. Um, Jordan. Well, can't. watch. Okay. All right. Let, let me watch a bad movie. <laughs> oh, I have, but, it, but I still, I still try to, I still try to find the good in it. Like, but, but I mean, dude, look, I mean, at the end of the day, a bad mm. movie's bad. But I can still like, okay, an example of this, and this is not a knock to these people if they happen to be in your audience. Um, the day, uh, day of the dead two was, mm-hmm. I was one of the streaming services. I started watching. I've never been able to make it contagion. That's what it was. Day of the dead two contagion. Mm-hmm. I started watching it the other night and I've tried to watch it in the past and I've never made it all the way through. And the first part of me that comes out is the non-filmmaker part and like this sucks. However, after listening to Harrison Smith talk about movie reviews and, and, and perspectives on film and mm-hmm. how it's really never appropriate to say a movie sucks. Like that's, that's not, that's a very ignorant stance to take. Um, I, mm-hmm. I set that aside and I try to be objective about it. And I'm like, and I look for the good in the film, like, well, you know, they, they, the, the, the choreography is good. The cinematography is good, you know, but then I was like, well, this doesn't look like they shot at 24 frames. This looks like it was shot in a, you know, in, in like 30 frames or something. And it's, you know, but, but back when that film was made, you know, a, a, a camera that would do 24 frames per second wasn't necessarily accessible. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I try, I try to find the good in films, man, but sometimes you just, you can't, I mean, some films just shouldn't be made. The acting's bad. The cinematography's bad. The, <laughs> You know, I'm right. still capable of calling a turd turd. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it's, you know, but, but I mean, it's just, yeah. Ben, it's hard when you, when you've, when you've uh, made a film mm. and you've seen all the work that goes into even a bad, like, I mean, even a bad mm. film, a lot of work goes into it. Now, if, if it's an obvious cash grab, that's one thing, but, but even, I mean, try to remember too, that this person that hears their film sucks. They're a human being that has feelings and they, and they probably put a, their heart and soul into that film. And when people turn around and say, like, for example, Rob zombie may not give a crap, but everybody's been ripping on the monsters and I've watched some of it and I've tried to be objective about it. But what I can't help but think about is how all this criticism makes Rob feel because Rob loves movies. He loves horror. And he was trying to do something really cool with that film. And people have just absolutely, ripped to shreds and mm. i just wonder like i wish i could i you know i would love for him to be able to just kind of talk like how does that make you feel man like does it hurt your feelings do you even care like it can't feel good that the, this thing that he i have my criticisms of the film from what i've seen so far but i don't want to rip it to shreds because i could tell yeah. you could tell that a lot of work went into that there are a lot of people who dedicated their time and energy and and yeah uh, and, and passions to making something that was faithful to the original show. And, and I just can't say this sucks. I can't. Um, mm. Because I, I just think about it. It's, I, I imagine it probably has hurt Rob's feelings. Um, mm. People don't really think about the art, you know, especially when they leave these, re- these reviews that are very negative, like this film sucks and it's this and this and this and this, like, you know, there's a human being on the other side of that review that, 
was passionate about this and had a dream and they, and at least they went out and made their dream happen. What have you done? You know, <laughs> so next, next yeah. time you want to, and, and I'll say this to the audience, like next time you want to rip on someone's film, how many films have you made? And remember, well, remember that there's a human being on the other side of it. And a lot of you have no idea what it takes to make a film. Now let me, one. okay. I, I hear what you're saying. And there's a part of me that agrees with you, believe it or not. There's a part of me that agrees with you. However, I used to be a film critic. And part of the job, in my estimation, part of my job was to tell people, is this movie worth your money? Right? Yeah. Not, you know, like, I, I wouldn't do like a, the equivalent of a Marvel movie today because that's bulletproof. Right? But there's other movies out there that I went in and I was like, okay, is this, strictly speaking, is this movie good? <laughs> right? Yeah. Would I want to pay $20 to see this? <laughs> you know? But the difference, though, Ben, is that yeah. when you did that, you did it objectively. You gave yeah. the film a fair shot and you explained your position and you probably pointed out the merits of the film as well yeah. as its cons. Now there was some real shockers on either side of that equation. There yeah. was some movie. I remember there was some movies I, I reviewed that I thought going in, I was certain were, was going to be trash and it ended up being pretty good. And there was a couple notable ones where I was like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. And then I was like, Oh God, this, what did you, were you high? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 um, the difference is you were reviewing the film, like actually reviewing it. Yeah. You, you went in, you, you watched it objectively. You didn't just say, Oh, this sucks. Don't watch it. You actually gave an argument for your standpoint on it. Um, you know, so I think something that hurts films today a lot is the, the advertising, the marketing, you know, and, and a great example yeah. of that, um, a movie, one of my favorite movies, it's not my top 10, but I, I have watched this film probably 20 plus times, uh, is The Dead Don't Die. The mm -hmm. first time I watched The Dead Don't Die, I wasn't really familiar with Jim Jarmusch's work. Um, I, and so I went into this looking at, I was the trailer for that film is awful because it paints. Oh, I love The Dead Don't Die. It's a great movie, but the trailer That's is so awful. Cool. Because that, that trailer paints this like Bill Murray comedy. And then when you watch the movie, it's not like that at all. It's very deadpan. It's very mm. kitsch. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's the trailer and the film are completely different. Um, mm. th th that trailer points you to a completely different film. So I walked in thinking this was going to be like a yeah. zombie land type film. And it wasn't at all. It had, it had a lot of politics mm. in it. It was a very left leaning film. It had a lot of social commentary. Like it was still good. But but I went in with a one expectation and saw something completely different. I did not like the movie when I first watched it. But then for whatever yeah. reason, as soon as the credits rolled, I started it over and watched it again a second time. And uh and I, I and I've watched like I said, I've probably watched it probably close to twenty times. And um yeah. it's uh it's a great movie, but that that trailer was bad. It was the, I mean, like, like if, if you took the movie out, the trailer is a great trailer, but that's not, that's not that movie, man. Like that, that's, that's not the movie mm. that you're going to watch. Well, um, I had a rule. I mean, I had a rule of thumb. Um, and my rule of thumb was 
I'm gonna wear I'm gonna be sure to wear a watch or I'm gonna be sure to have my phone on, right? Not on, but you know, powered up. Like silent mm-hmm. but powered up. Right? And my rule of thumb was I need to forget that my phone is a thing. If I'm sitting in a theater watching this, I need to forget that my phone exists. Okay? (laughs) If I can't do that, I'm going to keep a tick of every time I look at my phone. Hmm, That's interesting. Because that's, to me, that's not, here's my take on this whole Twitter versus the movie thing, okay? Here's my honest take. Ready? Um, if your movie is not better than the overworked secretary venting on Twitter, that's not her fault. That's not my fault. That's your fault. Okay? Now, there are some movies out there. That, there were a lot of most movies, obviously, were made before Twitter, (laughs) and they were made with a different audience in mind. So when somebody said, well, movie X was was bad, I said, well, it was made before the phone was a phone. So don't use the phone. Attention span was different back then. Yeah, it was different. That's that's the other thing. You know, like when when you watch a movie, when you make a movie, you have to keep in mind – Try to keep mind mm-hmm. at least. Um, you no, know, you do. People's I, yeah. attention spans like three minutes now because you know TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. And I mean, I, I, it can yeah. be hard for me too, man. Like I, I sometimes I find it hard to get through a film without looking. I at mean, phone. you know, there's but there's. I've seen movies where like I, you know, my there's a phone. Really. I I didn't know I had a phone with me. Yeah. There's a watch on. Really. Did I know that? But I used to keep it. I used to literally keep a score. Like I took a notepad and that, and I'd write down the basic outline of the plot and I'd try to write down like who directed it and whatever else and what I might've thought. But I also kept a score, you know, makes me think about something honey came up with. Um, I actually have it right here and we're going to use it for our show. So she, she, she writes a lot. She's a writer and she came up with this, like this thing, it's called a, a movie tracker mm-hmm. and um, it's watch log review a hundred movies. And mm-hmm. it's cool because when you look at it, like it's got a list of like things you should watch, but yeah. basically the next hundred films you watch, she kind of developed these like little worksheets in it that lets you sort of document what you watched like you know it's got title starring director writer year released rated the date you watched mm-hmm. it then it's like you know it has a line for the plot a line for the villains a line for the hero supporting cast production period setting plot twists watched with where viewed and then like it's got like a scare factor rating of one to ten how much did scare you and then like film elements <laughs> and prequel sequel you know is it a prequel or sequel mm-hmm. was it believable mm-hmm. yes no and then like a little section for notes then it's got like a little on the next page, it's got a, a, a subgenre checklist, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, what were the subgenres here? And then it's got a thing where it's like, how many of each did you count? Like dragons, ghosts, and spirits, monsters. And it's got this whole decapitations, mm-hmm. um, love scenes, uh, satanic rituals, you know, so just all kinds of different little things. Then it's got a, you know, then it's a line mm-hmm. for your favorite scene. What would you change about the film? Another line for notes and then your star rating. 
And I thought that was just like the coolest little idea, man. She took the time to make this book and it's like, it's a hundred of these worksheets. And just as you watch films over the next hundred films, it gives you a spot to sort of jot your thoughts down all the little yeah. details about the film. And I said, well, honey, we got to use that for our show. Um, so I had that sitting here right, right, right to my left at my desk. Um, watch. Uh, here's a movie. Uh, Thieves like us. Thieves like us. You couldn't make that movie today. You could not make thieves like us today. And that's sad. And not for like societal reasons or political reasons, but for like attention span reasons, but also like it's very the stuff going on off camera that they allude to is really crazy. You know, and it's a good movie. <laughs> it's a real classic plot. When when two men break out of prison, they join mm. up with another and restart their criminal ways, robbing banks across the South. It's so good. It's 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 peak Altman. It really is. It's peak Altman. Um, can I, can I tell you something strange about myself? Yeah, sure. I can't explain this. It's almost like a security blanket kind of thing. I feel like mm-hmm. I, I actually don't watch as many new films as I should because I'm always <laughs> watching the films I've already seen over and over uh. again. And, and, and no, no joke, Ben, I will, I go through these things where I'll watch the same thing. Like I've, I, this past week mm-hmm. I have either watched or listened to, cause I'll listen to movies as well while I'm working. Like I'll, it's almost like listening to a podcast for me. Cause I've seen it so many times. I already know what's <laughs> happening in my mind. I've watched night living dead. Uh, probably 10 plus times in the past two weeks. I, I you know, wow. I, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> like I, I don't, I can't explain wow. to you. I don't, I don't know what the psychology is there. But like, I will literally like watch or listen to the same movies. Just like it'll end, and I'll just start it back over and watch it again. It's weird. Jesus, um, huh. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell huh. you. So like, like times I should be like watching all these newer films, and people are like, have you seen huh. this shit? Like, no, no. Like, I don't know what it is, man. Like, I, I you know, I've seen the Big Lebowski. I can't begin to tell you how many times. Like, like you know, when I'm on like my Big Lebowski phase, like I'll, I'll go to bed, just turn it on, and listen to it while I fall asleep. You know, it, it's. Uh, I'm- so I'm a big uh, Game of Thrones fan, mm-hmm. which means that I'm a big House of Dragon fan. Mm-hmm. And I've started rewatching the House of the Dragon because I haven't actually seen nine and ten, like episode nine and ten. So I'm rewatching like one through eight. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me, and I don't know that television shows when we were kids because for the purposes of history, we're essentially the same age, yeah. even though we're sort of not, right? Close enough. But when we were kids, you, you couldn't do that with TV. Like, you couldn't watch the X-Files, like, three weeks later and be like, oh, I didn't pick up that subtext at all. <laughs> like, I didn't see that little subtext at all. Like maybe from when you were ten or fourteen or whatever, but but when you first watched it, but like not three weeks ago, right? Like, but I'm rewatching the House of the Dragon, and I'm watching episode one, and I'm like, yeah, I didn't imagine that. Like I didn't imagine that about episode one. Mm-hmm. 
they really did allude to it. Wow. <laughs> okay. Huh. Or like you can or like you see like the the actress who plays the grown-up version of Princess Renera actually does the voiceover for episode 1. And I didn't uh catch that. Obviously, I didn't catch it the first time. But it's it's, it's interesting. That's 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 something I've yeah. really thought about. Like you, the the convenience yeah. of being able to just sit and watch it whenever you want now, especially with the 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 uh convenience of, of streaming i mean my goodness man like that was yeah who would have thought that would pick up like it did um i know, did x files came on and went off man unless you bought the went and bought the vhs that had like one episode on it you know oh, oh um, man it's uh yeah I, I hadn't thought about that i hadn't really thought about that it does it does afford you the luxury of being able to really dig into all the little nuances the thing i love about the house of the dragon and I've said this to people. I don't know if I've said this to a guest on my show or not on the show. But the thing I love about it is it's it's adult. It's a very adult, uh, mature sort of uh, show. And I don't mean like sexually or whatever. It's very, um, you see the wheels within wheels of this empire moving or, you know, this, you know royal family moving it's just very it's so interesting it's almost a shame that it didn't really happen <laughs> you know like i i mean maybe something similar did at some point you know well i mean for sure like okay so the thing here's my thought about house of the dragon versus game of thrones right so Game of Thrones is actually loosely based. So Game of Thrones is loosely based on uh, the War of the Roses. Okay. So there are certain characters in Game of Thrones that are based on real people. Okay. I don't know that House of the Dragon is like that. Right. So at some point, you might run into a wall that way where you, you don't have this grounding of a person, you know, there, there isn't this grounding of a human being in, in the history that this person reminds you of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There but, always has to be like an element of reality in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but like, I tell you, I, I watched, I rewatched the first episode of House of the Dragon the other night, and I was like, I wasn't imagining that. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, I thought I was maybe making that up. No, I really wasn't. And then I got to thinking, I wonder if the writers didn't write that. Like, didn't flesh that plot point out. You know? I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. That's a sign of good art, though. I mean, the fact that it has you thinking about that. I mean, the fact that it's it's stuck with you, like yeah. that, to to even get you to ask those questions. I think that speaks highly yeah. of the show. Yeah. 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 Something I've been getting into lately is uh, Star Trek. Um, oh. <laughs> I've never. Your f- never. I, I so I've never I've never really been a big Star Trek person, and I've tried to get into it in the past, and. I started, but 
there was a, there's a game called uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew. It's a uh-huh. VR game. And I've wanted to play it because it looked awesome. And I started playing it. I really just fell in love with it. I mean, uh-huh. spent hours playing that game. And and I started going back and watching some of the original series. And, and um, I, I was like, yeah, that's just, you know, the, the original pilot. for the, So the, the first episode of Star Trek actually didn't air until 1984. And I know that sounds bizarre. But they actually had a pilot with a, a different actor than William Shatner. Uh, Christopher Pike was the, the uh-huh. character's name. And they I don't think that episode ever actually aired until the 80s. Um, and I so, remember when that episode came out. Well, maybe, a, <laughs> you know. Maybe and and I, I liked that episode, man. And I thought that guy, I forget his name. Yeah. He, pa- he passed away young. He passed away in like 68 or 69 or something. Yeah. Um, he died really young from a stroke. He actually had a, like a, like a series of unfortunate injuries that led to him having a stroke and it killed him. Um, wow. but he, uh, I, I, I thought his character was awesome. Like I, I, I loved it. Huh. Um, and I, I, but I like William Shatner as well. I mean, everybody makes fun of Shatner. Shatner's a fantastic actor. I don't care. Uh-huh. I don't care what anybody says. Um, but I, I, I really, I've, but I've been getting into Star Trek lately. I, I, oh. I never really thought I would, but, but like, I've, are, are you talking like, like the one in the sixties? Are you talking like the, the, I'm talking all of it. I'm talking about the original uh, series from yeah. the sixties, the next generation, like all, just all of star Trek in general. Yeah. Like I've, I remember like in the next generation back in the nineties when I watched it, uh, my it favorite of all the star Trek ever, uh, my favorite star Trek. I'm a little, I'm a little weird is, uh, Enterprise, but also, um, I really like, um, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. you seen Deep Space Nine? Not all of it, but I've seen, I've seen several episodes. It's, it's a good Oh, series. it's so good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, there's some discussion people can have about, you know how based around Battlestar Galactica or not Battle, um, what's the one um, Babylon Five? Mm-hmm. Like how based around Babylon Five is it, and what happened there? You know, I mean, maybe something happened. I don't know. I wasn't in the room. <laughs> you know, but, one of the things I'm really enjoying about the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, you watch that first episode, it's called the, the cage and there are a lot of special effects in it. Like the ones that weren't touched. And I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm loving like the filmmaking perspective that, that mm-hmm. I'm having with it. Like I keep asking myself, how did they do that? That's really cool that they pulled that off in the sixties. I wonder how they did that. I wonder how they animated that in like I, the, the techniques involved. And I enjoy the acting. Like, um, one of the episodes that Shatner did, they, uh, this, this other crew brings this kid on board the enterprise and leaves him. And they're kind of like, okay, he's off our hands now, you know? And there's something, you know, he makes this like weird face and they kind of freak out a little bit. Like, so you know something's up. It's a little bit Twilight Zone-ish. Um, and this sort of fraternal child relationship forms between this kid and and, and Kirk. And, you know, this is a kid who has these, these powers. He can like make people disappear and no one will stand up to him. Well, Kirk does. And he has, he has this respect for Kirk. He's a little bit afraid of him, but he respects him like a father figure. And William Shatner is brilliant in that episode. I mean, th- he plays that part mm. so well. It's very like down to like sort of standing up to him and intimidating him and, and give mm. him that father, like, no 
telling this kid no. Um, uh-huh. it's a br- it's brilliantly written and it's really well uh-huh. acted. Um, and 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 man, just the genius of Gene Roddenberry, the social ideas he had, the you know equality. Like if you look at the first episode of the Next Generation, there's actually guys walking around in dresses. And, and like the, the whole idea was that, you know, Gene G- dreamed of this future where sort of like mm-hmm. style was androgynous, I guess. Like, you know, it wasn't really, uh, it was, it was really ultimately about equality of the sexes, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like, if you, or if you watch like my favorite Star Trek film is actually, uh, first contact, the one with the Borg, like the Borg are terrifying that that movie is so scary. Um, mm. but you know, uh, uh, Picard is talking to that that lady about you know in the future they have no there's no there's no such thing as money they don't have currency anymore because people mm. have evolved past that you know their ideals and the way they view the world is different you know so mm. I mean Roddenberry was a genius I mean like yeah. you know if if you really look past the somewhat somewhat of the cheesiness of Star Trek it's a really cool concept man like I when it I is. play Bridge Crew I'm like man I wish I could live in this universe I mean as dangerous as it is and there's all the stuff that could kill you it would be cool to get to walk to live in this universe. Like it, it just to get to explore space, these planets yeah. and meet new civilizations. And, you know, there's, there's world peace among humanity, you know, it, it's, you mm. know, there's no such thing as money. So poverty is not a thing anymore. I mean, like there's all these really cool ideas that Gene Roddenberry had. And, um, you know, and you look at how revolutionary the original show was I mean, with Nichelle Nichols. And there was that kiss between Kirk and, and, and Uhura and, and, yeah. and, um, and, and, and I think dude, it's she's just, I think it's important for us to say that on the day they, well, at the time that that kiss happened, it would have been illegal in most states, if not all. Mm-hmm. I think they, that's... They tried to not air it, but it still aired. It still I ended mean, up making it on TV. That's important to say because, like, I live in a city that has a lot of interracial marriages and a lot of, you know, biracial children and it's important to to say that the sixties were not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Like the 1960s were really not that long ago. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's still, it's, it's weird to me ever, you know, that, that I think about Dwayne Jones a lot um, because he's, he slapped Judith O'Day's character in the movie. And, and George knew that that was something that could have gotten Dwayne hurt. And it's so weird to me that that man who's a brilliant actor and just a really, he seemed like he was just a really nice guy, brilliant, brilliant person, incredibly intelligent. He lived in a world where he couldn't be like something like, you know, acting that out. Just, I, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that our country ever used to be that way. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's it's sad yeah. and 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 I'm glad it's not that way anymore. You know, well, um, one of the things about history and the reason I think history is so important is because people need to understand like the world used to be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, it all comes down to being my my philosophy, and this is what this is really yeah. what the Bible teaches. Ultimately, man, it's like it's about loving people. You know, everything is so polarized yeah. today. Every, everything is spin. People hate yeah. each other. And, and what we forget is that yeah. we're all on the same team. We're all people. 
we're all human beings and we all live in the same place. We all bleed the same color blood. Like we're all human beings, man. And there's just no reason to hate each other. Um, it's life is about loving others. That's why we're here. Our job is to love other people and, and to to help and to help other people. And that's it. I interviewed a, I interviewed a a man who, uh, fought in World War II. And he said that to me that, World War Two was what convinced him that um, we're all on the same team, you know, and yeah. that we're not perfect. He, I remember him saying that, like, we're not perfect, but, it, you know, we need to realize we're all on the same team here. Yeah. Because we, we when, yeah. when when we all fail to send like so so here there's there's a term I I didn't yeah. know that this was actually a fairly new word, but there's a word called sondering, and sondering to, or to sonder means to have the realization that the person you're looking at has a life that's every bit as complex as yours, mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. they have problems, and dreams, and emotions, and mm-hmm. like their life is every bit as important and complex as your own. And that's such a yeah. profound thing. Like it's so easy to let people bother you. And you know, it, it's, but man, yeah. at the end of the day, like, and that goes back to what I was talking about the movie reviews. Like when you criticize a film, just don't forget, like some films deserve to be criticized. There are films out there. They're absolute cash grabs. They're lazy. They, there's no business making them. Well, I mean, but, if I were if I were a a film critic today, I would like not. Well, I mean, if it were my job to go review a Marvel movie, okay, sure, I, I would review a Marvel movie. I mean, whatever. But I don't know how I would do that either because part of my job, I always thought, was how you know is this worth twenty dollars. You know. And if it's not, it's not, but you can still say what's positive about it. You know, like I just, I would encourage people and this is some people, this will, some people hear this and other people, they don't care. It'll go through one or not the other, I think. But you, when you criticize a film, just remember that on the other side of your review is the person that made it. And they're a person. That's yeah. the key word. They're a human being and they yeah. have feelings <laughs> and, and you don't, you don't yeah. know what this movie meant to them. You don't know how much work went into making the film. Um, and, and, and you don't, and, you don't know why that take, why the take you saw happened and some other take didn't, or, um, it's like, there's a song, um, there's an Adam Sandler song about, um, oh God, what's his name? Um, Van Down by the River. Oh, Chris Farley. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that. <laughs> that song is just if you want to cry, just go on YouTube and look at that song. Yeah. I mean, Chris, it's just be- Chris was such a tortured soul, man. Because that's his friend, you know. He's he's telling you about his friend. And like he's moved on, he's he's done other things with his life and fine and wonderful, but he still misses his buddy. So talented yeah. too. I remember yeah. when Chris Farley died. Um, I, I remember do, when John yeah. Candy died. It's, I remember. Uh, I remember when Chris Farley died. I remember when John Candy died. I remember when uh, Robin Williams died. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember the thing I remember about that 
is I remember uh, Billy Crystal gave an elegy at the Oscars or something about his friend. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. (laughs) Wow. Probably went dry there. Oh, my God. That's just so sad. I'm going through a Jimi Hendrix renaissance Uh in my listening. And I'm a man that likes my my music heavy. Mm -hmm. I like the heavy music. Let me ask you a question. If Jimi Hendrix had never picked up a guitar, how would heavy metal be different? You know, at some point, somebody would have done what he did. Um, You know, the reality is, man, like there are so many great guitarists out there that have been found, but there are even more guitarists who are as good, if not better. And they've just never been discovered for whatever reason. They never saw, they never met the right people or they don't really care about fame. They just play at home. Um, (laughs) You know, there, there are probably hundreds of, of Eddie Van Halen's out there, but there's only one Eddie Van Halen, but you know, his talent, his little there's talent. probably zillions of people like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Eddie Van Halen met the yeah. right people. He, he, you know, he got, he got discovered, you know, but, but that's not to detract from how amazing of a guitarist he was. I think at some point, maybe, maybe it would have set it back 10 years, but look at how many people. I think it would have been more country. I, no, I don't know, man. I mean, Elvis, Elvis really set the stage for, Elvis kept it from becoming country. It, it, had there not been an Elvis, maybe, but or Chuck I mean, Berry or something like. I it's, think metal would have been more influenced by country, because the the thing that made Jimi Hendrix special in music history was he played on the black circuit, so he was steeped in the blues. So he just, he brought the blues into, in fact, he was the first person that they said, this is heavy metal. Somebody wrote that for the first time, describing Jimi Hendrix. So you're right. Somebody else would have done that. I can't, I can't, but see, I feel like you can't really ascribe metal to one. I mean, like, you know, the blue blues country. I mean, like, I mean, I think punk had a huge impact on metal. Mm. I mean, like you look at the Ramones, man. I mean, like mm. the, the the way mm. Joe Ramone played, it's. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, have you ever have you ever like? I, so I, I literally I'm banned from playing uh, Blitzkrieg Bop in my house because one day <laughs> I decided I wanted to learn it. So I sat down on a computer and I watched a video on how to play it, and I I, I had my guitar with me, and then mm. I put on uh, I I start I put it pulled up Spotify, started playing it. I put it on loop. And I just sat there and played with it because the best way to learn accurately to is to play it, along yeah. with the song. So I, I was kind of lost in my world, man. I, I, I like the song a lot. I like the Ramones a lot. I just, I, I let the song play and I played along with it. And eventually one of my roommates came in. He's like, dude, you got to stop. Like, I, that's like a two minute song and like an hour had passed of me listening to it. So it was become torture for him. <laughs> but you listen to a Ramones song. Mm-hmm. It sounds incredibly easy to play, but they their music is incredibly difficult to play because uh, Joey did not play power chords; he played bar chords. So mm-hmm. when he's playing, he also never upstrummed; he always he only downstrummed. So when mm-hmm. you hear the tempo of his music and you hear the notes, bear in mind that this man is shredding pure downstrums with bar full bar chords, um, and that's not mm-hmm. easy doing. If you you know for if you've never played a guitar. 
watch a bar mm. chord and try to play one yourself. And, and it's very, you know, unless you're used to it, it's uncomfortable on your wrist and stuff. And it's, um, and mm. it, it can, it can wear your wrist out. Uh, mm. the dude was an amazing guitar player. Um, I, I, mean, I don't know when I think of metal, I think about just the, the, the chug and the shred of, of punk music from the seventies. Mm-hmm, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think metals are really like an amalgamation of a lot of different genres. And even had Jimi Hendrix not hit the scene, there would have eventually been somebody that did what he did. Uh, but yeah. I mean, but you also have to look before him and look at, you know, Chuck Berry and Elvis and guys like that. Like they, mm. you know, uh, they, they, I think they're the ones that really set the stage for what rock and roll would, would have, or what metal would I mean, eventually become. Between Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, uh, I I would throw Hank Williams in there. I I, yeah. I would I would throw, uh, Lordy. Um, let's see, Chuck Berry, um, Little Richard, mm-hmm. um, Otis Redding, um, the list just goes on. But you're right. I mean, somebody else would have made the link somewhere. But when you hear, you know, Black Sabbath, old Black Sabbath, that's a yeah, blues it's like band. Randy Rhodes, Black Sabbath. Well, like old, like from the 60s and 70s, Black Sabbath, that's a blues band. You know, when you hear Led Zeppelin, that's a blues band. You know, they're they're faster, they're harder, but it's a it's the blues. You know, I want to make sure I get this right. So Richard Berry recorded the song. Mm-hmm. Did he play the guitar on it? Um... Okay, so it was by Rich Bear was inspired to write the song in 1955. So the song Louie Louie. Um, oh, yeah. That's that, a classic song. That chord progression, though, mm-hmm. is basically identical to Blitzkrieg Bop. <laughs> um, or Blitzkrieg Bop is identical to it. Like, that chord mm-hmm. progression is extremely common. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That and that was from 1955, 1956. Uh, it was written in 55, recorded in 56, released in 57. So that's that's before Hendrix even came on the scene. That that mm. chord progression was being used in that song. So my, my my point with that is that stage was set even before Hendrix. So some you're saying like somebody else somewhere down the road. That that is what influenced Hendrix. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there there was somebody else doing, there had to have been somebody else doing what Hendrix did. There had to have. They they yeah. just they just maybe weren't discovered yet. Um, I mean, yeah, if you think about, I mean, the chess record people. Think about the people that the chess record people never found or found but didn't like or mm-hmm. couldn't pay the bills or whatever. You know, that was okay. That was a movie. Let me tell you, that was a movie that I went into talking about film critic days, right? That was a movie that I went into and I was like, 
this is going to be terrible. And I was like, oh, God, this is so good. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. The the I forget the name of it, but the movie about the chess record people. Oh, wow, that was so good. It seems you know? like history has a way of making itself happen no matter what. You know, it's mm. almost like if there's a the way things are supposed to go. Even if the intended player doesn't enter the game, somebody else will, you know? <laughs> um, well, I you mean, know, you can make, you know, that's in history. We call that trends and forces. Uh, but, you know, and I, I get that, you know, I really do. Because if you look at the French Revolution, say, the, the forces that were there for the French Revolution to happen were huge. So it was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you look at, say, let me think of a, a, a great man theory here, right? Oh, here's one. <laughs> Hello. Um... If Gorbachev was not the leader of Russia, right, mm-hmm. and Chernobyl happens, Gorbachev basically, you know, Gorbachev really went above and beyond to to sort of eventually talk to the West about, not at first, but eventually he sort of owned up to it that we need help. And there were a lot of Soviet leaders that wouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, that's true. Um, yeah. What's another one? Um, here's one. And it, it's so, you know, this is so ubiquitous that we don't even really think about it. But arguably, society today would be would be very different, very, very, very different if uh, Steve Jobs had not released the iPhone or had the internet you know, not taken off the way it did. Mm-hmm. Right. That would, that would be different or, but, but, but the thing still, <laughs> it still would have happened though. Like, I mean, Google was still doing the same thing, you know, with, with the, the Android phone. So oh, even yeah, had the okay. iPhone not hit the market, Google, Google was already still making a competing product. All right. You know, the, the stuff would have eventually happened because what you have to look at Ben is, is, the, the catalyst for these things. You have to look at the, the, yeah. what inspired them, you know, like, like yeah. the greatest piece of advertising I've ever seen was the first Samsung, uh, gear commercial, mm-hmm. um, or, mm-hmm. or it was one of Samsung's commercials for the gear watch. And it was showing all of the smart watches, the fictional smart watches through history, like the Dick Tracy watch and flash Gordon, you know, all these <laughs> different, all these different pieces of technology from like comic books and cartoons. And then yeah. suddenly they showed the real thing with the Samsung gear. Um, yeah. there, there were things that inspired that it was, it was science fiction that inspired the, the iPhone, 
So the 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 yeah the building blocks have been put in place, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years before that in, in science fiction. Yeah. No one had capitalized on them yet. Now, would the yeah. smart home phone have looked different? Because there are all the little nuances of the the operating system and the technology. Like, I mean, Steve Jobs, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, if you look at all the iterations of the iPhone that led up to the iPhone, I mean, like it was very like iPod-esque early on and it didn't have the rubber banding effect and like mm-hmm. the on-screen keyboard. They really struggled with it for a while. Like, you know, had had Apple not done it, had Google not done it, who knows? I mean, but you look at, you know, uh, uh, Well, Palm, there was, there, Palm there was a the BlackBerry. Yeah, there yeah, was a BlackBerry. Yeah, there's the BlackBerry, which is sort of a predecessor to the smartphone. There was the the Windows mobile yeah. devices, but you also look at like the Palm Pre. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was one of the competitors to the iPhone, and it was actually real a really neat little phone. But um, I, I've got the ultimate great man theory of history answer. That really, honestly, so I I'm a trends and forces guy. Like mm-hmm. I'm all about the trends and forces, but you have to admit that there are certain places where if this person didn't do this thing, it would, the world would be insanely different. Okay. Yeah. Like I'll give and the best example I can give you is this. Okay. Each and every time somebody stepped up and prevented world war three from happening. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Each and every time that happened. And there are some famous times and some not so famous times. And there's powerful yeah. people and not so powerful people. But there's had people, those people times not. we'll never know about, you know. That, that, yeah. Or... And that's, to me, that's the answer. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to me, like, it takes the so-called great person in the trend and force, <laughs> you know, I believe that we are designed for our time and place. And, hmm. and that's, that's, that's by intention, you know? So the, the reason you have the, the great man in history, because I believe that God designs every person with a destiny and a purpose. And he designs yeah. them specifically for that time and place, you know? So like, you know, you and I right now, we were designed for our time. You know, I don't know what our ultimate, I mean, our ultimate purpose is to love others and serve God and, and, and love other people and help other people. Mm. But, but you know, what that looks like in our lives, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what our ultimate destiny looks like yet. You know, it's, it's, mm. we just, we, we have to watch it. We have to live it and watch it unfold as we live. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, You know, I'm just thinking, like, I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to so many people. And it just occurs to me that that we have, like, this this is a transitional period of time. It is. Yeah. Like, the world's going to look. We're in one of those. We're in one of those times where the world actually literally changes, like, drastically. Like, the world mm-hmm. we live in is going to look different. The, the, the society we live in is going to look different. It's, uh mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we're we're in a pretty defining moment in history in our lifetime right now. We it's are pretty scary. Um, well, I never, I, I would have never imagined seeing the things I've seen in my lifetime, but I have. To me, the thing about it, to me, is like people, not us. You know, we'll we'll figure it out. Like, man, maybe we'll figure some of the stuff out. 
But, you know, sooner or later, society, whatever society is, in reality, is going to have to come to terms or figure out, you know, what about these famous people that aren't rich? Yeah. You know, what about the, what about the secretary at the school that has zillions of followers on this, that, or the other? What about that? You know, I just, I just missed the time when everybody was an American and loved each other and we all knew we were on the same team and we all had a common goal and that was just to, to live the best life we could and provide the best life we could for our families. And that was enough, you know, and, and when disaster yeah. struck, when disaster struck, we got, we banded together and did what we had to do. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, I miss that, man. I, I miss a time when it wasn't about being offended and worrying about what you say. And, you know, it's like, just don't be a jerk. That's, you know, all the stuff that's going on right now, dude, you don't have to have all that. Just don't be a jerk, respect other people. That's all, that's all you have to do. You know, I miss, I'm, I miss a world where it just, it wasn't so polarized. It wasn't so terrifying. It wasn't so like, it's, it's, I'm glad that I'm an adult seeing the things I'm seeing now. I would actually really hate to be a, a youth well, in, 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 in the, the climate we're in right now. I think it's it'd funny. Be terrifying. It's funny you say that because I'm of two different minds there, right? The first thing is, so, you know, I tell anybody, I tell everybody, right? You say you talk about my podcast to other people. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell anybody, I say, you know, the greatest education I ever got, ever, and I've been to to two of the greatest public institutions in the United States of America. Um, but the greatest education I ever got was doing a podcast, being a podcaster. So I say to do that, like be a podcaster. Mm-hmm. And But the thing I always say right after that is you want to make sure that you're a podcaster as an adult. Like, I would not want kids doing this because, you know, no. <laughs> they just don't have life experience. Well, right. Or like, okay, here, here's here's an example. There were two different people that I talked to. One was a propagandist who... um. He was a propagandist who had to work for the Chinese government because he couldn't find a job in America. And there was another guy that I didn't release or I didn't even record because he was trained by the Russians to sound American. Wow. So was he a sleeper agent during the Cold War? No, no, not during the Cold War. Now. Oh, wow. Now. (laughs) Right now. And I didn't put him on because I didn't want to be a party to that. Yeah. But to me, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, in society, and I'm just like, there's a whole world out there. There's a whole world out there that the average American is just not prepared for. They don't Honestly. even know it exists. 
Like our our tier one operators, <laughs> our special forces guys, they they live in a world we don't even know exists. Um, there's stuff that goes on around us every day that we don't have yeah. a, a clue is happening. Like I, I imagine one of the most fascinating and terrifying conversations anybody could ever have in this country is to get the presidential briefing. Um, I remember when Trump got in office, <laughs> somebody had commented he looked a little uh, perturbed yeah. or startled or something like when he came out yeah. uh, to, to take the oath, because I think right before that he got the presidential briefing and um I was like, yeah. man, I, I can't even imagine what they tell you, you know, like some, some of these, the nation secrets that like only you yeah. know about only you and like a small handful of people know about, like, I, I can't even yeah. imagine. I want to become president just to hear the briefing. <laughs> like, you know, well, it's uh, it would be fascinating to hear it. I mean, what was it that I don't remember what he said exactly, but there was something, I think it was Obama. I don't remember the, pre- it had to have been Obama because it was about, the Afghanistan. It was about one of the wars during Obama, right? Where he had said, we're going to end that war under my presidency. And he was directly asked, well, why didn't you end the war? And he said, well, I was, they told me, they told me this is why we need to keep fighting it. And there's things happening and da, 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 da. And what's the interesting part to me is, so I've known tons of Afghanistan veterans and I've, I've interviewed a bunch and I've known a bunch. I've never talked to an Afghanistan veteran that thought that war was anything other than a waste of time. I would love to know what he was told <laughs> the president. I know? mean, a lot of times, man, it's about, I, I don't know, but, but I mean, a lot of war yeah. a lot of times is about profit. Um, I don't know. A lot of companies make a lot of money from wars, you know, and it's, it's on the backs of young people. It's, yeah. it's, it's very strange to me that the generation fighting in Afghanistan, when the war ended, were in daycare when it started. Um, I think it's the longest, it, it's the longest I war in United States history. I don't know how that's possible because technically I'm not disputing that. But I don't know how it's possible because technically Vietnam, there were Americans dying in Vietnam in the 40s. Yeah, but but everything prior to the official, like Vietnam was actually never even officially a war. It was a conflict. Neither and, was Afghanistan, though. And we were we were over there in an advisor role um, before that. And that was like in, you know, 60 three or four, I think 62, maybe. I, I think we um, date it to the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. Yeah. You know, so I it ends, so, so. you know, Vietnam officially, I was like done, done in 75. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. You can actually, yeah. you can, you can date a trivial pursuit game by huh. the, cause I remember playing trivial pursuit one time and asked what was the longest war in American history. And the answer at, on that edition of it was ah. Vietnam. You know, I was like, wow, you can actually date date these games now with this. Um, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, for, from 2003 to 2021, I mean, dude, we were, or just it was yeah. this year, 2022. The, the years kind of run together for me now. But and it's, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> when when that when that war started, man, I mean, the, I, the, the kids that were in preschool, yeah, the kids that were in daycare, were fighting that war. I um, never thought it. Would, I never thought it would take that long. Yeah. I, I, to me, in fact, it was, it was watching some young people trained to go to boot camp. So I'm originally from Nashville 
mm-hmm. there's a Marine Corps recruiting station and the recruiters there, they'll, they'll do calisthenics and run with the kids that are about to go off to, to Paris Island and, uh, and go to San Diego. And, uh, yeah. I remember seeing a group of them one day and it dawned on me that that was no longer my generation. It's getting pretty late over here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, why don't you, uh, sing your song and dance your dance and we can unhook this recording. Yeah. Um, well, I mean like, man, it's, uh, I, people find me on Facebook. That's, that's where I'm most active. I, I have, I have a Twitter, uh, it's at BP for Christ. Uh, my company, mm-hmm. Dawn Journey Productions, we have an Instagram and a Twitter and a Facebook page. Um, but my, my personal Twitter, I'm under the handle at BP for Christ, but I'm most active mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, you know, feel free to, to, to reach out to me. And, um, if you have questions, uh, I do ask, like, if you message me, please send me like in one message, what it is that you, that you need. Uh, cause there's so many scammers out there. They always, you know, start their messages with hello. Um, so, you know, send me like a complete thing of, of, of what's going on. And, but I'm, I'm very approachable. I'm, you know, I, uh, my, one of my dreams is to help people make films. If you have questions about film or how to get involved and stuff, mm-hmm. man, feel free to reach out to me. Um, blood repentance. We're, uh, we're, we're almost done with the new script. Uh, the next time you and I talk, Ben, hopefully we'll be in full on production. If not have it wrapped up. Um, I've got mm-hmm. uh, a new show coming out soon called mm-hmm. X unplugged. Uh, the mm-hmm. first episode we're doing is actually going to be about resident evil. And we're really excited. We've actually got the original Chris Redfield, uh, Charles Kreslavsky coming on. Um, Wow. And, uh, we're, we're that's cool. Him. Yeah. I'm excited about that. It's cool, man. I like, dude, I wish I could go back to 1996 and me and be like, you're going to interview that guy one day, you know, like, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, and, and, um, and then grills and thrills will be, that'll be coming out here in the next few weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's with honey and I, and so it's a lot of stuff going yeah. on, man. It's really exciting. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, thanks for having me on again, dude. Hey, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love the show. All right, folks. Oh, I'm glad you do. Um, Like I always say every time, I'm having a good day. And I hope you are too, folks. All right, people. I'll see you later. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye, folks.